This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash laser time and let them help you tell your story. Sean Connery cures Arnold as collateral damage and Jackass takes its final nut shot this week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine. Uh, looking back in time every single week, 30, 20, and 10 years ago, into our past movies, television, video games, news. Music and so very much more. Why did I say that slow up, up at the top? We've already lost people. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. I'm Diana Goodman, and I found a cure for cancer. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls, and I don't know, guys. Am, am I just too sexy for this shirt? I don't know. <laughs> so sexy, it hurts. Like, I need some ibuprofen. Ooh. I, I'm not even sure what that's a reference to, but there's so much to cover in this week of 30 2010 as we cover three decades. From a single week, that week being February 4th through the 10th in 1992, 2002, uh, and 2012. Again, love the format of the show. It helps you organize where you were and what you were doing, even if you have never been organized. Just around the release dates of some of our favorite pop culture minutia. And this week in particular, for some reason, more than any other week I can remember, has the worst, some of the worst things ever. In every segment, it feels like careers are ruined. By by some of the stuff we have to talk about this week, it is astonishing. Oh, yeah. I don't remember things being so bad. People just stop making stuff. Like that is the kind of week we're working with. Movie stars are broken. People are thrown in movie jail or real jail. And yep. it is it is an insane yeah. week of I will say some of my least favorite shit I've ever seen in my life. But I also am delighted to see truly bad this many bad movies. In one successive, <laughs> and there's a couple good ones though. There there's are some re- really good movies hiding in here. There's one. Some there's one truly great movie. Things. IMO and, and some decent television right. and one good yeah. video game. But right. but the the movies here this week are hilariously bad to me. <laughs> like egregiously <laughs> offensive. I cannot wait to talk to you about them. So stick with us because there's plenty of other fun stuff to to mention. Because we are again once again thirty twenty ten going back through 30 years of entertainment, one decade at a time, uh, and is also executive produced by our buddy Ronald Hayden over at... Ro- Why did I say Ronald? Ronald Hayden. This is what happens when you take Ronald McDonald away from the children. <laughs> I forget how to pronounce the name. Uh, Ronald Hayden and many other fine people at patreon.com slash laser time. Hey, man, give us five bucks. We'll give you free shows. I cannot boil it down to less than that. <laughs> so you can give us more. You can give us less, but we do encourage you to donate to our show, which helps the whole Laser Time Network, including Gluten Veggie Game Apocalypse, and not those other shows who are financially stable and bombard you with ads. Anyway, patreon.com slash laser time. 30, 2010, February 4th through the 10th, 1992. Here we are, 1992. The Winter Olympics open in Al- Albertville, France? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is this, is this the last time the Olympics happened the summer and winter in the same year? It is, yeah, yeah which yeah. I always thought is the way to go. You know, when I was young, it was like every four years, there's an Olympics. And then when it's every two years, there's one type of Olympics. I don't know. It just it it's lost not special. a lot of its specialness. Because up until this point growing up, every time there was an Olympics, I remember it with like a fashion trend because 
four years is a much much more drastic change than every two years. So every time I think about the logos, I think about like, ooh, we were wearing tiny shorts back then. Ooh, we were wearing jams then. You can't think about that like anymore. Uh, the, the Olympics don't work like that anymore. And it just yep. took, it, it, it was promoted, something that's promoted all year, which I don't, I, what else is promoted all year long? Movies have like a two-month a two month hype cycle. Video games have like a four-month hype cycle. The, just being have the Olympics promoted at you all year. There was an entire, one of my favorite animated movies was made just about the excitement over every four-year Olympics. Animal Olympics, look it up. And, uh, <laughs> and, and there are also election years in the U.S., so yeah. it made it easier to remember what was happening and where. And a really amazing Mario game. God damn it! <laughs> was that a, was that genuine? I I I just never Doki liked those Doki games. Doki Doki Panic was made for the Olympics and then reskinned as Mario. Not what? the Olympics. It was a TV. It's, oh, was it? No, it's a TV mascot. It's, oh, I thought it was the Olympics. Mm -mm. Okay. I thought you were I talking about that. Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games and like, do I have to talk about this like a good game? God damn it! To each no. their own. Jr. can love that game all he wants. Oh God, you're gonna make me say this, Diana? A thing I've never heard of. You say it. The Maastricht Treaty. Hey, you pretty much got it. Maastricht Treaty Maastricht. is signed by 12 countries founding the European Union. That's kind of a big deal. Oh, they said, shit. all right, we're actually going to make this a United States of Europe. It's uh, We're going to integrate Europe with shared citizenship. Uh, eventually, we'll do a single currency, you know, more foreign security policies. Uh, and now it's all the way up to 27 countries, minus one of the original found. Yeah, real smart. Real smart, England. Hope you like paying tolls, taxes, traveling across the borders, importing everything in. Really made sense just to be racist for one second uh, mm -hmm. and then lose all yeah, these benefits. Against, like, Polish people. Yeah, like, what the... F Oh my God! I want independence for Scotland and for them to rejoin the EU and put real borders up, and that would be awesome. Uh, Rebuild Hadrian's Wall. <laughs> and uh, finally, in lighter news, Mike Tyson is convicted of rape. God, who put that on the teleprompter? No, I. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so this is the first rape that I remember. I remember the uh, sexual yeah. harassment hearings for uh, Supreme Court Justice, uh, but. This is the first time I remember like a rape being big news. I, I don't think I'd heard the word on television before being a child until, hey, that guy in your Nintendo game has done this thing. And I don't, thank God I nothing had happened to me as a child. Yes, I had not had to encounter this act ever until now. So, yeah, I think I'm with you on that, yeah. JR. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Mike Tyson is currently, I'd say, America's favorite convicted rapist. Uh, you hey, know, or Chris Brown. This... Oh, wait, no, he's just a white no. dude. Yeah. Yeah. He he gets real mad if you call him that on television, which has happened a couple times. You can find clips on YouTube. And uh, yeah, he has a real history of violence. Um, what? I know, shock. Someone who's paid to give out concussions maybe is not great at hearing the word no. He was Picking arrested clues. 38 yeah. times uh, while he was a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. My, like being growing up and... Mike Tyson being in the news all the time, he was a really frightening figure, like an imposing figure, because he was clearly had problems existing in the world. And I'm not excusing any of his behavior, but seeing him now and that he's so surprisingly lucid compared to those first 20 years of just in inexpressible anger that he, mm. he exhibited, that I love when he does take the time to talk about these things because he kind of will and people <laughs> what is that patrice o'neill joke i don't like white people not being afraid of you anymore and people will <laughs> press him on questions <laughs> do we want to play this clip it's not a fun clip okay but, uh, this is mike tyson uh ask years later about his victim oh i i, I guess this is just a line 
reptilian, monstrous young lady. I just hate her guts, and I, she put me in that state where I don't know. I really wish I did now, but now I really do want to rape her and her mama. I know oh. you. <laughs> I got a gasp out of Diana and her uh, mother. Um... Yeah. <laughs> This is years later after he got out of prison, keep in mind. Uh, so he's had time to cool down, apparently, and that's his real thoughts. Fun! Fun! Yeah, she's not the one who put you in jail. Uh... Yeah, I mean, she is in that she had the fucking lady balls to come forward about this, uh... which everything in the world would i'm sure tell her let's just pretend that didn't happen you don't want to get famous for this she was miss black america or miss black i was robbed i was robbed that year but yeah yeah Yeah. had everything probably just like just live your life just let's all pretend this didn't happen this guy is scary he's gonna come after you all his fans are gonna come after you and she fucking did it anyway yeah, and I yet can't... he was convicted so it's not like there was no evidence or right. he said she said or it's she's like... she's lying for attention like what she didn't need attention she you was hurt her. in ways consistent with rape mm-hmm. um yeah, Woo! yeah. <laughs> so yeah he go to jail <laughs> okay uh and he comes out uh kind of nuts in a different way let, uh, eventually let's let's move on to let's move on to much nicer things i guess like Here's the thing about the movies this week, and I may have had this anecdote before, and it feels like it's the same week for me, but it would have been when these movies are released on VHS. And if you grew up like me, that means you grew up in a one TV household. And if you grow up in a one TV household with parents who are kind of strict with your media diet, every week you get to rent like two or three videos once a week. And every once in a while, your parents are like, I want to see this stuff. You kids kind of need to fuck off this week. And this feels to, I remember these covers and complaining because not only was our only TV occupied, they were occupied by two of these movies this week. And I was livid. Just if I like kind of a little too old to kick, scream and actually cry, but just like kind of stomp around the house. This is what I do when I can't use a TV. Uh, just making a bunch of noise because my parents were watching Charles S. Dutton. <laughs> Sharmelia Tagore, uh, Seth, Roshan Seth, Sarita Chaudhuri and um, Denzel Washington in Mississippi Masala. It's a long way from India to Mississippi. I'm a uh, mixed masala. Hot and spicy. Academy Award winner Denzel Washington. I ain't no saint. Just looking at him make me break into a sweat. Yeah. Sweat all over the chicken. <laughs> you know what they say to me? Your brother thought he got himself a white chick. I love him. What about his family? You think I ain't good enough for your daughter, is that it? I never thought I would fall in love with you. Mississippi Masala. Rated R. Even though it's rated R, I think you could have totally watched this with them if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's another great topic, fun, nice and fun, in that yeah. it's about ethnic cleansing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Her... Racism and racial identity and colorism. It's, there's a lot going on in this movie. But there this, is. This is, there is. It's just being a kid and like, I don't know what that is. I understand heroes and villains. I don't understand these shades of gray and these actual societal import occurring in any of these movies that's boring as shit to me well they explain it to you in this i just want to point out this is denzel's not made a lot of comedies and he's not made a lot of romances and yeah. this is somewhat of romantic comedy drama dramedy. i call it a romantic drama more than a comedy i yeah. mean there's one or two laughs but it wasn't like laugh after laugh after yeah. laugh yeah romantic I drama i think yeah. yeah you're fair so it's about this indian family who lived in uganda and then they are pushed out of uganda by the unpleasantness and end up in mississippi with like 
this whole Indian expat community. And then she meets Denzel Washington, who's, you know, like a just a local guy. And it's so interesting because she's Indian, but she's also African. Like mm -hmm. she lived her whole life in Uganda. So like she knows more about Africa than like the local African-Americans do. Yep. And they sort of bond over stuff like that. But also there's like colorism and that like she's kind of dark skinned and they're like, you can't date a black guy. He's even more dark skinned than you. What the hell's wrong with you? You're supposed to find a lighter person. Light is good. <laughs> and also, and then on the other side, you know, Denzel's family is sort of like, she's a white woman. It's like, no, she's not. <laughs> she sounds <laughs> like a white not woman. <laughs> white. She's Indian. We're both and, blind. She sounds white. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's about their families uh, trying to keep them apart. And it's, it is very, it's just, it's charming though. It is yeah, really I, interesting. I've have... seen this as a teenager and just like my mind is blown. Like I hadn't thought about any of this shit because right. I'm a white suburban kid. What do you mean Indians lived in Uganda? What do you mean Indians there's an Indian motel association that is thanked in the credits of this, like in Mississippi. Like what? Why? Why would they go there? That's and I think that's doing? why my parent, because my sister and I both had Indian friends, and we're I remember them trying to get us to connect with this. Like this hasn't been a movie made like this before. You got to see it. You know, Sahir, Sarita. This is yeah, a couple. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. <laughs> I, was like, I have so, an Indian uh, friend. Why do I have to watch a movie about someone else making one? <laughs> I, I did look up a couple of things just to get the cultural context of 1992 a little more. In 1992, the majority of Americans did not approve of marriage between white and blacks. It was at 48%. Jesus. Uh, whereas in uh, 2020, it's at 24%. <laughs> also, Indian Americans were a lot smaller percentage of the population back mm. then. They were 800,000 in total uh, versus four and a half million today. And that 800,000 were overwhelmingly first generation immigrants. Uh, today, you've got a lot more second generation Indian Americans, Indian Americans who were born right. here, raised here, spoke English as their first language. In 1992, that's just not true to nearly the same extent. I can't make a better point of that, but just like the word masala was mysterious and unheard of in 1992, whereas it would take me 10 years to have any context for that word. I wasn't ordering Indian food. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And now. also there's uh, another term that pops up in the credits. Hakuna Matata. What? What? It just at the end of the credits, it just says Hakuna Matata. No that's worries. So strange. Like, okay. Not... Because that's an African term that people use in Africa. So that's, that's so strange. But in San Francisco, I don't, we had a ton of brown friends who were African. And it, I, I, I don't know. I had to, I had to learn more about that in my thirties than I ever did back then uh, about being African and also Indian. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a lot of Indian folks lived in South Africa. Uh, Zanzibar. Yeah, all over the place, man. Hey, you go where you go where the work is. Yeah. And yeah, I'm bummed to see Mississippi Masala is not on any streaming platforms. I believe mm -hmm. you can rent it it's kind of a pain to find but it is written and directed by mira nair who's a indian woman filmmaker who we get to talk about again next week weird what Yay. with an even more popular movie she made so. <laughs> we know how hollywood works back then but we already gave them one why do exactly. we have to make another give them one <laughs> Yeah, uh, and it's just it, yeah, it bumps me out to to have Denzel because we're gonna have Denzel in an extremely Denzel-y role that we get to talk about later. later. <laughs> yeah, and it's like so we've seen him do this before, but it's like you haven't seen him be like yeah, a romantic guy. <laughs> and he's I want to see more of that because he's very good at it. Yeah, he he yeah, plays so 
an everyday Joe really well. And that's not what you normally think of right. Denzel. His, his big trouble in this movie is, can I keep my truck fixed? You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not the Denzel problem you kind of think, but he handles it greatly. Ah, uh, yeah, such a bummer. I want more people to see it. It's, it's well, can the anyway. same be said for, God, I hate, I hate the titles of Richard Gere movies. <laughs> Paul Guilfoyle, Keith David, uh, Eric Roberts, Uma Thurman, Kim Basinger. Wow, both of them the same movie. Richard Gere in Final Analysis. A psychiatrist and two beautiful sisters. I wish there was something we could do to help Heather. Are playing the ultimate mind game. It doesn't feel right. Do you always try to talk yourself out of what you want? Someone was seduced. I didn't want you to leave last night. Someone was set up. He said you told him everything. And before it is over, you think it was me? Someone will be dead. Richard Gere, Kim Basinger, Uma Thurman. Final analysis, rated R. Ooh, you think Kim Basinger looked at Uma Thurman like her replacement? There's this younger, blonder, taller woman version of me that's Aww. coming after me. <laughs> Maybe. That works, honestly. Yeah. I've... Uh, so, yeah, this is a forgettable movie. But um, sex and murder. The, yeah. You know, yeah, uh... it is definitely. It's an erotic kind of film noir. <laughs> Twisty. With that, with that old haze code stank on it. But they can fuck, yeah. but they got to die. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So uh, Richard Gere is a psychiatrist who forgets the first thing they teach you in psychiatry school is don't put your dick in crazy. That's the number <laughs> one rule they teach you, and he it's forgot on the it. pamphlet. It's you hand it to you when you graduate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, don't stick your dick in my, a mob wife. Oh yeah, that. Whose sister is your patient? How and many who ways is that going to totally up to shenanigans? How many ways can you jeopardize your well-being? That's like mm. two two things you probably shouldn't do in any occupation, uh, <laughs> right there. Someone Dude. you're working with and the mob boss. Why don't you? Yeah. go outside, meet someone else. <laughs> yeah, it's oh my god, it is. It's pulpy. I'll give you that one. It's the kind of erotic thriller they don't make anymore. It you know it's it's going to be like a sexy long con in the end, and they kind of try to make it a bit Hitchcocky, and San Francisco looks really good in it, even though, I don't, that lighthouse don't exist, but, you know, <laughs> those, like, decrepit spooky lighthouses hanging out somewhere that people can just, like, accidentally fall off of all the damn time. Yeah, I, I've been in one lighthouse in my entire life, and that's because we had to rent their house for two weeks for them to take us up in the light. It was part of, like, a 1980s Airbnb, and I've never been able to I've always asked I, my parents, was that a dream? I went to the top of a lighthouse once. It's like, yeah, it was like kind of hard to do. We had to, you, your grandfather had to know somebody. I love lighthouses and <laughs> you can't just get in one. It's it's impossible. And we had to have two chaperones because they're built in like the turn of the century and fall. If you touch that rail, like lean up against it, Peach Dragon style, you will die. That thing will <laughs> yeah. crumple and you will fall. Yeah. And lighthouse it's, rant. It's pretty. It's pretty silly, but yeah, it's worth bringing up if if you want to get into you know the erotic thrillers. Like, oh yeah, someone's getting killed and someone's getting framed. <laughs> Last, and I consider Leesley another oh my. movie. My my mother rented more than once using our three movie a week quota. Oh, it still makes me mad. Lorraine Bracco, Lorraine Bracco, and Sean Connery. It's number one at the box office this week. Medicine Man. Hollywood Pictures presents Sean Connery. We need help. Don't you presume to tell me how to follow up? A man determined to make a difference. I found a cure for the plague of the 20th century, and now I've lost it. This is the cure for cancer. I know. And you move your road through here, and we've lost it. Get 
from John McTiernan, the director of Die Hard and the Hunt for Red October. Medicine Man, rated PG-13. God, I hated this movie. I hated, <laughs> hate, and I tried to watch it, and it's just like, wow, it all came back, like Brussels sprouts and the In the Heat of the Night theme coming on after cartoons. I could not <laughs> get through Medicine Man. Oh, it just depressed me so much because it's like, oh, well, this could be interesting. Yeah. And I love Lorraine Bracco. Why is she whining and screaming the whole movie? I, as far Shut as, up, woman. as far as I could read, this is the only above the title Lorraine Bracco movie I have ever seen in my life. And the reason for it is also this movie <laughs> and her performance in it. She, when I say careers will roll this episode, I think she's one of them. Well, she gets a uh, raspberry nomination for this film. <sighs> it's not good. I mean, she's not <laughs> given it. a lot to work with. I yeah. Mean, think of the, character. the character is Dr. Killfun. She's uh, <laughs> sent to a remote outpost in the middle of the jungle with the intention of bringing back this crazy kook guy. And she is there specifically to make sure no fun happens. Don't do anything <laughs> with the natives. Don't do anything with coconuts. Just come on home with me in a boat and we'll fill out forms together. What are you That's doing? not a <laughs> fascinating <laughs> character that the audience wants to love. Get out of here, Sean. They spit on their own floors. What? <laughs> this, oh, I hated this movie yeah. so much. Uh... And, and it delighted me to see, to read terrible reviews for it. And yeah, so, yeah, the idea is Sean Connery is a rogue biochemist yes. out in the middle of the Amazon, far, far from it, civilization. Today, he'd be on, today, these... today he would be on Joe Rogan's podcast. You all know. Shut up. <laughs> no, he's not that bad. But, you know, he's uh, like, okay, well, for example, he wouldn't be on Joe Rogan's podcast because Lorraine Bracco runs up and is like, hi, everybody. I'm from the outside world. And he's like, put on a fucking face mask because you're going to give these indigenous people the flu and they're, half of them are going to die. And I was like, yeah. Wow. All right. But he does that because he did that. Uh, that's yeah. his tragic backstory <laughs> right. is uh, he inadvertently, accidentally uh, genocided a village. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you do. As you do. But he's he's researching and he thinks he's found this flower that could be the cure for cancer. And she's like, no, we have to go back. Don't do that. I don't trust. You. And she just whines and screams and whines and screams until finally she's like, okay, maybe it is a cure for cancer. And then, then they have to go find some more of it. And there's a lot of zip lining and, and that's kind of yeah. it. Oh, but then, oh no, the destruction of the rainforest is the one environmental thing we talk about in the early nineties. And it yeah. turns out they're, they're going to build a road through here and that's going to wipe out the cure for cancer. That's why we should save the rainforest. What do you for mean they're going to fish reasons? What do you mean they're going to build a service merchandise here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, now I got to be Dr. Killjoy. We are never going to have a cure for cancer. No, Sorry. it's too many. Uh, cancer is not a disease. It's not a one thing. Cancer ah. is a million yes. different ah. types of cancer. So all you can hope is like some Moore's law for cancer where every year we can cure more of cancers than we could in the past but there's never going to be this one magic bullet that's just going to end cancer no. that's that's not yeah. how and it's not going to be found by some venture brothers characters in <laughs> in, in mexico <laughs> pretending it's south america no we i mean at least we have one thing that prevents a kind of cancer which is pretty cool abstinence well, <laughs> abstinence's best friend Gardasil, sure. Yeah. Fact, like, can we all appreciate that a little bit? We found 
a vaccine for a kind of cancer? I'm, this is the first time hearing of it. What? No, the um, the HPV vaccine. Oh, right. Duh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can get cervical cancer. It'll kill you. That's what got Gilda Radner. You don't want to be that. Come on. Right. That anyway. Was- that, yeah. Uh, and I also did look this up. If we did hypothetically cure all cancers, which we won't, but if we did, it would result in a three-year increase in the average American's lifespan. Yeah, yeah I kind of thought it would be more, honestly. Yeah. But yeah, just three years. Huh. I wonder if there's aspects of the American behavior that makes us more likely to get cancer. Nah, nah, nah kids. Nah, nah, nah. Eat your cheese. Eat, drink your milk. Mm. You got this. And, uh, yeah. As we did mention, the director of this film is not in movie jail. He went to the <laughs> other type of jail. Yeah, which we get to talk about. This is, I mean, this was a weird choice for, yeah, John McTiernan yeah. is really on a roll with Die Hard and, and Hunt for Red October, and he's a really good action And, and Predator. He's already and shot, he sh- already shot in a yeah. neighboring jungle. Yeah, and it also made the point of, like, we wanted to go back to Borneo to that jungle that we used, and it was gone. So jungle deforestation is really bad. And instead, they went to Mexico. They went to Veracruz, Mexico, which another movie also set in a jungle. Yes. Went to Veracruz, Mexico. There's two <laughs> the movies this week episode. where white saviors go to Mexico, or South America for Mexico. Mexico for South America. I fucked up that whole sentence. But I read more about John McTiernan this week than possibly ever before in my life. Mm. But at least he said, like, you know, this was supposed to be a little movie and then somehow got like studioed. It got Ooh. millions in a budget and then they put Sean Connery in it and then I can't choose the lead. And then it just kind of went out of control and it, it marketed like it was Die Hard, which it's not. And no, then it had to be then practically no action in it. Yeah. yeah. It, <laughs> so he had he had a point there. But a oh lot, man. A lot of tribal people wearing loincloths. Like there are just so many shots of butts everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, oh. like floppy boobs. Oh, I miss my National Geographic porn. Well, let's move on from movies, because the television this week is just as interesting. If we hadn't mentioned it before, television, as we segue to television, I think New Kids on the Block are suing their manager, who has, who has made lip-syncing accusations against them. So this week, they appear on Ar- Arsenio and show that they can do this without lip-syncing. And this might have been news to us back then, because we all didn't have microphones and uh, recording software in our house, but... Five guys singing over each other is always going to sound kind of fine. That's why little kids' choruses <laughs> is, are used in a lot of things, whether they're good or not. I don't know what this this proves. <laughs> well, it, what was interesting to me is that it was a scandal. Not that they were not singing on the recording tracks, but in their concerts, they would sometimes lip sync. And now I feel today that's just a complete and total zero issue. Like yeah. so many artists... Hundred percent are lip syncing, and no one cares at their concert. It's just like, yeah, I mean, we we are been... lip syncing. You can't They're... do that much dancing without heavy breathing into your microphone. Yeah. So you're singing with a track of you singing. That's how they do it. It's I've been to huge hip hop performances where like they're just kind of talking over their own album, like it's just the song playing, and it's funny. It, usually, funny stuff happens and riffs happen, but like, yeah, who gives a shit? Like you're there to see a show, and as long as you put on a good show, who gives a shit? But that's the thing. 1992 did give a shit. It did. They very much did. Scandal. I guess it was just people weren't as media savvy. That that and probably like even like the boomers who'd grown up with the monkeys knew at least they were trained to actually sing at some point, and they weren't faking it. Our generation had it real. I think it's just a bunch of jealous old people pointing and, and hipsters pointing this out because who gives a shit new kids on the block yeah. 
Well, it's also, it's one of those things we can see in retrospect as being the the turning of the tide of music. The idea that's mm-hmm. like, they're inauthentic because they are they can't play instruments. They're yeah. not even singing as opposed to, well, Alice in Chains is doing everything themselves. <laughs> well, of course they are. <laughs> they're <laughs> not even old enough them? to file for an LLC. How could they make their own band? Uh, this yeah. is, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Let the kids have their music. Leave them alone. And I was, I was moving on into becoming a little SNL obsessed person. So I don't think I was there this week, but like uh, yeah, SNL this week, you get the premiere of Adam Sandler's Cage Man. I got a snake, man. Oh, that's, I think it's from his album. And uh, uh, Robert oh, Snyder's. Is, <laughs> is he doing one joke that's a funny voice? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yep. How how fun. But I think this might like be the origination of one voice, one joke. I, I can't think of an Adam Sandler SNL character who was one voice, one yeah, I, joke before you gotta this guy. You got to hear Robert Smigel talk about Adam Sandler. He's like, you know, no, people hated him in, in the writer's room at the time. I thought what he was doing was brilliant. This one-note character-based stuff where we used to like have only premise-based stuff or impression-based stuff. He would just come up with an original character that made a crazy noise. And like, I thought that was super avant-garde. It's one of the greatest comedy writers of all time. He's like, I, I could not wait to put this on television and irritate the fuck out of people. And, <laughs> and, and that to... Mission accomplished. And, and again, I, <laughs> Rob Snyder was so good on SNL and I love the sensitive naked man, which I... <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is like the punctuation on this 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 guy who's naked and sitting on a couch with this woman. Tell me how you really feel. Like and, and I'm uncomfortable that you're naked. He's like, come <laughs> on, tell us, tell us that stinking thing. Is tell us the truth. And the I think there's only two or three sketches, but it always ended with him turning his bare ass to the crowd. And like no one had seen that before. I was I'm, I haven't really seen that on SNL on purpose since then. Uh, maybe Chris Farley's pants would fall down and they'd pay the occasional <laughs> FCC fine. But Rob Snyder bared his ass on SNL this week. Um, and it also has my personal favorite, my number one favorite Jack Handy quote of all time. Ooh, mm-hmm. Is this uh, from a Deep Thoughts? Mm-hmm. And now Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. If you ever go temporarily insane, don't shoot somebody like a lot of people do. Instead, try to get some weeding done because you'd really be surprised. (laughs) Okay, this blew 13-year-old JR's mind. I was seriously like, no, that's, what? why don't they do that? Why don't people go temporarily insane and get their chores done? Then they'd be not insane and they'd be happy their chores are done, guys. Guys, why don't they do it? I I remember I think the first SNL I fell in love with, part of it was the deep thought. Like uh, I think it's kind of funny when old ladies fall down, but then I think, what if I was an aunt and she fell on me? Then it wouldn't be quite so funny. And I run back home. This is the best joke I've ever heard. My parents were like, Why does it start with you like it when la- old ladies fall down? Have you ever seen an old God, this kid sucks? Can we trade him in? I, I, I'm not sure 13-year-old me didn't laugh tell my sides heard at every single Jack Handy thing. Yeah. I mean, I can quote them 30 years later to the day. I yeah. took my nephews to Disneyland. <laughs> Only I took them to a burned out factory and told them Disneyland had burned down. They were pretty sad. Then I told them the real Disneyland was still there. They asked if we could go, but it was pretty it was late. pretty late. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I own, like, back when you couldn't buy SNL, really, you could buy the Deep Thoughts books, and I did. Yeah, um, I did I, too. I mm-hmm. love those Deep Thoughts books. But God damn it, we're gonna we have plenty of time on the show to talk about SNL in the oncoming weeks. I want to talk about 
video games depicted on television because <laughs> oh, I, uh, I believe, according to my estimation, what I was watching, The Simpsons is the first show to depict video games outside of an arcade on any show. And even then it was with like an Atari Joey stick playing punch out. It was incorrect. So when you would occasionally see like, whoa, is that a real controller? <laughs> oh my. Uh, but on the episode of Roseanne, Dan secretly buys DJ Super Nintendo. Uh-oh. But uh, Bev swoops in and overshadows him. And JR, you have this highlighted as how games are portrayed in 1992. What do I do? It's kind of like that Sega game, Hedgehog. You got to power up or you're dead. What happened? You're dead. Skeleton stabbed you through the heart. That's your blood. Oh man, DJ's gonna love this. Once he gets it, we'll never see him again. Well, let's give it to him now. One more time. How you doing? Two more swords, and I'm queen of the monkey people. This is so. This is, and I don't so want to go on too long. This is so bizarre. It's got the actual Super Nintendo, the actual Super Mario World music, but then they come up with this really intensely violent game, which isn't a Super Nintendo thing. Yes. At this point. It's um, video game cliches like skeletons and swords. In Nintendo, this week, issued like 800 million copyright strikes on small YouTubers for, use, for <laughs> uploading their music. Yet this is network television I'm pretty sure you can still hear this in syndicated episodes. This is the most famous game in the world right now. That is the, that's so crazy to me. Nintendo didn't care at all that Roseanne's playing its music. No, just, uh, we're airing on American television. We hope you don't notice. Eh. And, and, <laughs> and because of the, again, not to go off too long on it, in 1992, it was, it was America that put video games in the toy aisle. So there was no toy at that point. Like adults weren't getting addicted to Barbie or Teddy Ruxpin. They were getting addicted right. to video right. games, but it's only because America had games in the toy aisle, which is something Nintendo decided to do because of the video game crash. Other cultures didn't do that, and video games weren't associated with addiction. They were associated with electronics that you use every day because you use your television every day. Uh, why wouldn't you use games every day? Why wouldn't an adult want to play a game? It's simply an American hang-up, and this is wonderfully indicative of how we <laughs> thought of games in 1992. But I appreciate that, yeah. Rosanna Dan would totally want to play this more than the kids would. I somehow I doubt it. No, nah, I, I could totally see. Well, I could see Roseanne, maybe Dan less so. See, I, I um, feel it would be too new for them, honestly. Like I think, they I, wouldn't have grown up on video games. They would have yeah. But they grew up in they're like would recent... happen by the time they were adults. But she would know? have been wanted to be the queen of the monkeys. <laughs> but they would have just graduated from the bar scene. You mean to tell me yeah. they're not throwing pongs around and they've played kangaroo? <laughs> or missile command. They've seen they've seen something in yeah. arcades. Yeah. Okay. I, I have to believe they have. At this point, they probably only had an Atari. They bought at a consignment store for cents on the dollar. <laughs> and I'm only saying that because Mario World. And I meant to talk about this in the next segment because this is not the only time we get we get to mention Mario World on this show. Is surprisingly complicated. It, it's a lot harder to jump into than the original Mario. I'll we'll get to that later. We also have an episode of Doogie Howser. <laughs> Double Doogie with cheese. Doogie tries working at a fast food restaurant, and Vinny bets uh, his job is harder than Doogie's. What? Guys, which do you think is harder, being a doctor or working at a fast food restaurant? Um, I think I know which one. I think I appreciate Doogie, I'm presuming, learning the lesson that, uh, yeah, there is no such thing as unskilled labor. Yes. What, What he learns is that responsibility without power can be very stressful. And that's that's an interesting lesson he learned, for him to learn. What I would learn in a few years when I had to go uh, sling fast food 
only one of those jobs requires you to wear the most uncomfortable footwear to be on your feet all day, where doctors can walk in and cross trainers. It's not fair. Mm. It's not even mm. slightly fair. Got to wear fucking flats to be on my feet all day. Fuck you, McDonald's dress code. And then a show I deeply love every single... And there's not a lot of episodes to talk about. Get a Life. This, this th- may be the last episode we talk about. I just had to throw it on here because this looms so large in my memories of Get a Life. This is the episode <laughs> yeah. with an evil version of ALF or an evil version of E.T. E.T. Um, <laughs> Chris Elliott finds a alien and he thinks he's going to be a magical creature. And all this alien wants to do is beat the shit out of everyone. I mean, (laughs) the second this alien sees anyone, he's just throwing lefts and rights like a wounded Wolverine. Um, And his name is Spewy because he spews some vile putrid liquid over everyone he meets. Um, (laughs) And this show just hates everyone, even the kids. This is the magic moment when the children, oh, the dear, sweet, innocent children, get to experience the magic of a creature from another world. (laughs) Get ready, Amy. Get ready to be transformed by love and by magic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, leave it to the children to understand his special language. And so, and then just when you think this episode can't get any darker, it ends with them eating the alien. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I like mean stuff? This blew 13 year old me away. I I just loved how mean it was. Why did I like mean? It's so adult swim ahead of its time. And and it's Mm -hmm. in a half an hour format. It's so weird to, I mean, I remember watching this in black and white and my head was exploding. Because these are all premises we talk about. What if this would happen on a sitcom? And I, I think according to the... I was listening to the commentaries when I had this DVD. Like, this is the first episode that the they got a ton of shit for after it was filmed. They'd get a ton of shit during the writing process and would change things around. But, like, this was done. And they're like, you cannot do this. You cannot portray an alien like this. We cannot air this. And everyone's like... You approved of this. You read about this already. <laughs> like you, you can't have him eaten at the end of the episode. Like we wrote it, him to existence, so we could eat him. You read the script. What are you doing? And and, and they couldn't change it. Aired it anyway. And, and I think somebody described when you win in a fight in the studio that way. It means you're probably not going to have your show in a week or two. Mm. Yeah, we hate this, but let's go ahead and air this anyway. But get a life. I don't know where you find it. I grew up loving the show. I, but I think if you do not remember my anecdote, I quoted an episode of Get a Life in class and got suspended. And it had mm. no curse words in it. It was, just, it was just a quote from Get a Life. That's the only time I've imitated art and got in trouble was because of Get a Life. Because <laughs> it was a little too advanced for me. I believe I said, this filthy prostitute just slipped me a Mickey. Um, <laughs> yes. And they said, no, no, Chris, we use sex worker now. <laughs> That's why you got in trouble. Miss <laughs> Barnum did not like that. I went to the office. Oh, I love this. Uh, speaking of Chris Elliott. Speaking of Chris Elliott, who became famous on a little show called Late Night with David Letterman. And that's not what my generation knows as Letterman. It's Conan's time slot after Johnny Carson. It's its 10th yep. anniversary. These anniversary <laughs> shows were so cool. Mm-hmm. They would just get 
everybody in and like the band would just be like paul schaefer would just call in every favor and the band would just be ridiculous yes because there was and like this one they get him bob dylan plays like a rolling stone sure why not jay Jay leno appears on every one of these anniversaries and it's i think uh in with a world with no internet there's nothing cooler than letterman like if you yep. can stay up yeah. late enough to watch it, you're not old. And it was just cool. Letterman had this yeah. late night and then cool. They would just, yeah, run all like it's a best of yeah. clips too. In between everything else, it's just you can see it's a clip yeah, show. he puts on a suit covered in Alka Seltzer and gets in a big thing of water. <laughs> and they play with that because they have Bill Murray mistake David Letterman for Johnny Carson and play a couple of Carson clips and think that <laughs> they're David Letterman clips. But I, I do like you pointing this out because I, I would have attributed this to the Simpsons, but I think the Simpsons writers worked for Letterman. Letterman was ruthless to all of his parent companies the entire time mm-hmm. he worked for them, like jokes at the expense of uh, NBC. And this is this is NBC at this point, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's NBC and, yeah, the fine people at General Electric. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, NBC, of course, is uh, owned and operated by uh, General Electric. And uh, that's right. <laughs> The audience instantly well, knows you've to taken boo. the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, if you think about the history of General Electric, this company has been unbelievably innovative. For example, it was General Electric that invented the self-cleaning oven. And I, I was talking to them a couple of days ago, and they tell me now that the boys in research and development are now working on a self-firing employee. So that was just, what a boon. <laughs> He just hates everyone who gives him money. He just despises every last person who pays his salary. It's just, it, it it's, is, it's a thing of its beauty in its way. Yeah. And just that the, I'm trying to imagine a world of youngish people knowing today who General Electric is or giving a shit or having an opinion on General Electric one way or the other seems, feels bizarre. Who would boo General Electric now? It's a pretty stable stock. He said it's at 41 years old. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Anytime a giant corporation takes over something in the media, they fire a lot of people and they make everything worse. There you go. And he's got a bully pulpit to make fun of them about it. Um, I believe John Oliver referring to AT&T is fuck you, business daddy. Uh, (laughs) That has been happening. Second to lastly, in the video games of 1992, uh, so much to get excited about. And by that, I mean one thing. Nolan Ryan's baseball on Super Nintendo. Nolan Ryan, I think, had just punched a younger man in the face and that was the coolest thing i ever see, saw him do a guy ran at him charged him to punch him and he just grabbed him in a headlock and hit him like three times it was hilarious asteroids Is that included in the video game uh, <laughs> it should be a blades of steel mode a, ben- a bench clearing baseball moment uh asteroids and cubert are part of the the game boy and that was a big deal back then it really was to have these yeah. these games that used to cost you 25 cents to play over the course of a decade, <laughs> come home to and something I, you can play for 20 I mean, bucks. there are, these games are about 10 years old, a little mm-hmm. more, a little less. And there's still games that are 10 years old that are appearing on the Switch. Yeah. And it's a big deal that it's suddenly this 10-year-old game is portable. Yeah, I can't, I can't get a good handle on whether these games are being played by younger folks or just being bought by folks a little older than me to recapture those memories. But like, I love Qbert. I think I've told that story before when I'm in seventh grade and we have a computer lab. And I think one kid went into the library and computer lab and hid Qbert on every computer in the school. (laughs) And for a couple of weeks, you were trying to hide it from the adults, but you could access Qbert and DOS. And 
there was no window, so they couldn't fucking find it. <laughs> None of the adults could find where this video game was. Uh, so yeah, we were all I, playing Cubert. I, I think Asteroids, Asteroids and Cubert are like perfect portable games. Yeah. 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 yeah they're, they're nice and simple, and you can just kill time playing them. Perfect. Yeah. You're on the bus. You're not going to miss your stop, but you'll get yeah. a few rounds in before then. Hell yeah, yeah. It's perfect. But the biggest, the biggest news of the week, and by that it's kind of, it's kind of the end of an era, uh, the Super Scope is released for the Super Nintendo. And that is the last, I believe, one of the last first-party light guns that comes out. Well, after the in the next couple of generations, you can't guarantee that CRTs are going to come around. It's know? true. I, light I, guns I, needed those CRT televisions I to think, really work. I think the Saturn had one. Okay. But but what's funny is that we'd had the zapper or like like handheld light guns in games before, but now it's the home version. You've got to up the ante. And Sega had just released like a little like uh, the Menacer. A little Uzi looking uh, submachine gun that you held. And Nintendo's like, fuck you, bazooka, shoulder mounted bazooka. This is the light gun. You need two hands to operate it as you mount it on your shoulder like your goddamn Schwarzenegger and, and zoom in on a single television pixel. I remember that commercial. The game, the two games, three games released for it by Nintendo are amazing and nothing else is. It was very expensive. And if you have someone has one in their house, you can see it. It's the only. Nintendo peripheral that solves a problem in the Mario Brothers movie, like Dennis Hopper just whips one out <laughs> at the end of the film. It's very strange, but I I still love the Super Scope for some reason. It's interesting to me because, like, if you round up everyone who played video games in the 1980s, played Duck Hunt, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. But no Super Scope game remotely came as close to that. Yeah. And it wasn't included as a pack-in, so that's huge. But also, uh, the Zapper didn't require batteries. The Super Scope required six AA batteries, yep. which would last four hours. So, you know, Oof. you're almost looking like a dollar per hour in battery use. I, uh, you're making me want to go buy one in the break because I, I got to see this. <laughs> and, and yeah, where we stand now, if, if Diana didn't know that, I, I think there's only recently been technology developed. Our television displays can't work with light guns. So mm. you have to set up other dongles if you want them to work. So like first party kind of gave up on light guns. And I think Namco made a couple time crises for the PS3, but like saw that the audience wasn't there anymore. And it kind of went away. And I'm going to look into look into Sindel, though, if you want to find a new light gun that will work on your modern TVs. It was thought, it, literally technology you might not care about, but was thought to be impossible like three years ago. And someone figured out how to do it. Anyway, moving on to music of 1992, February 4th through the 10th. New releases, Mac Daddy by Sir Mix-a-Lot. Whew. Oh, yes. It's, it's so the one weird. you think it is. Yeah. It is so weird to think of Sir Mix-a-Lot as someone other than the baby got back guy yeah but yep. when this came out he's not the baby ba- got back guy he's the one times got no case guy and that what? that's a, that's a very involved story i don't know if you've listened to one times got no case recently <laughs> but it keeps going on you're like thinking okay so the story's <laughs> over no more details oh okay more details <laughs> really you're giving me more details i need to know what you're using a radio for all right, thank you, Mister A Lot. I appreciate that. I don't know what this is at all. Yeah, anyway. no, that's that's the first single. It's not "Baby Got Back." It's it's "One Time's Got No Case," which is this like long story song about like cops hassling him for playing his radio too loud in his car, and it just like goes on and on and on. And it's got a, a awesome awesome sample from uh, "You Never Do Nothing" by Stevie Wonder. Mm. We'll probably we might close out the show with that. Oh, okay. And uh, we also have. 
Sap by Allison Change. They were mentioned in a previous conversation on the show. That is out this week. Odd anniversaries, more noise and other distractions by the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, who, RIP. Yeah, as of last week, <laughs> politely called it quits. After, if you didn't hear it, did you hear the final parade? No. Mm-mm. And I, I, look, I used to go see these ska bands all the time. I find some of their music now a little insufferable. But they kind of got every ska performer in the universe in on this song called The Final Parade that released during the pandemic that is every, almost like 20, 30 features in this Boston song called The Final Parade. I'm like, is this the last one they're going to make? And I was still shocked when they were like, all right, yeah, no more. Maybe they'll just have other final parades in other (laughs) universes in each of those universes. It's the final parade for that universe. Thank you. Dude, remember that, Diana, next time you make a Final Fantasy joke. Um, and <laughs> yeah. Well, wouldn't they break up over some sort of anti-vax thing, though? Or is, is it that... just a former oh, no. member? Uh... See, look, anti-vaxxer. that's the problem of having 19 band members, especially when one is just there to dance. He's yeah. going to be the one yeah. breathing the most heavily. and <laughs> Especially when you have one guy who's hired just to dance and play brass instruments and everybody's hitting 60. Holy Lord, how can you how can you still do that? Uh, General Terrorist, by the, it's the debut of Manic Street Preachers is out. And that what is not the final album for 20 years from Public Image Limited by John. Um, and yeah, I, I did want to have a brief discussion about the number one song, I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred. Yes. And yep. to me, the really interesting thing about this is how rare songs about male sexuality are not males having sex with uh, other people not males conquering sexual conquest if you will but just males reveling in their own personal sexual attractiveness there's this and then 20 years later there's i'm sexy and i know it and i can't think of any other songs really reveling in male gaston's song Uh. (laughs) yeah yeah i mean there's plenty of songs of people just bragging about themselves in general Mm -hmm. like that's like you kind of have to in hip-hop that's like a whole thing about you know i got this car i wear these clothes blah 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 all the women want me blah 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 i got more hoes than there are zip codes i don't know i what i also think is is um, not saying that but is there a hip-hop song like look at my pecs look at my pecs look (laughs) look look at my pecs (laughs) i i I also think it's equally interesting and maybe kind of a odd statement on where we were as a culture that this song in particular was synonymous for a while with like let's go let's go to the club and you cut to the club scene and like this is the, mm-hmm. the musical transition this song's for a while personified we're going out to party and yeah. then once people i guess knew more when you were making a gay joke and didn't want to make it two on the nose Mm. that's what this song would signify for about 10 years in popular entertainment you would hear the beginning of this song right uh or someone was doing anything in drag you would hear you would just hear Mm. this song and i wonder what i wonder what the drag community thinks of this song at this point i don't know they probably really don't like it because well also because right said fred has gone pretty Far right said Fred. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, didn't they retweet something from a oh. uh, patriotic alternative in the UK? Yeah, Are you they ki- did something. Morrissey and right said Fred? Are, oh yeah, my God. Sorry. Oh my God. We have never yeah, been so due for a like break. They retweeted Nazis and shit. No! Um, I mean, their heads, but never. no! 
I know. But it's like the thing I've always liked oh. about I'm Too Sexy is like very, it's very jokey. Like it's yes. very tongue in cheek. It's like you can take it at face value of he's really saying I'm too sexy, but he's also m- more making fun of people who think As I'm too is sexy. I'm sexy and I know it. Both yeah. songs are the only songs I can think of about male sexuality have to be couched in jokey terms. There's yeah. never a serious one, you know, like mm-hmm. damn, I feel like a woman. You know, that's a song that is, is serious. It's not jokey. Uh, I can't think of the male equivalent. We uh, need someone. We need a guy to cover "Beautiful" by Christina Aguilera or somebody. Yeah. I think. I think it it's is. Really freaking I am beautiful, no matter what they say. This kind of inconsequentially silly song yeah. has lived for uh, so long. And has so much weird meaning to our culture at this point. Yeah. It is very strange. This was one hit wonder. Maybe we're all right. Maybe that led to its staying power. That weird six finger punch of homophobia and male <laughs> male pride. I don't. I'm, this is such a weird song to have to talk about like this. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. It's, it's mm-hmm. so strange. And I will give five dollars to anyone out there who can name another right said Fred song. Contest expires now. I wouldn't do that, man, because so many of these bands that we think are one-hit wonders in the U.S. are, like, 12-hit wonders in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) There's people who, like, they know the discography, man. Well, it looks like if you want to see Right Said Fred live, it's probably only going to happen at Sturgis or (laughs) Montana somewhere Mm. on the Chris Jericho cruise. So I am shocked to believe it, to hear any of this. I think we're done talking about Right Said Fred. Let's close out with I'm Too Sexy, and we'll be right back. I'm too sexy for my car, too sexy for my car, too sexy by far. And I'm too sexy for my hat, too sexy for my hat, what you think? If you're a content creator like the good folks here at LazerTime, you know how inefficient and demanding the creative process can be. Sometimes you just want a huge library of content to pull from, and you need that perfect clip, image, sound, or piece of music. Well, good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge demand-driven library of 4K or HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan gives you unlimited downloads from over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad right now. So whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's important to you, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash laser time. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash laser time. Welcome back to 302010, and I love showing the transition between the decades with songs like we've done today. We we take you out of 92 with Right Said Fred and come in with Coheed and Cambria, Devil in Jersey City, off of their debut album, the second stage, Turbine Blade. I know a ton of our listeners are a fan of Coheed and Cambria, and they've always been a band I've meant to get into for 
20 years now because I've, <laughs> I've always kind of liked them. But yeah, it really illustrates how music shifted like throughout one decade. If you mm-hmm. can imagine, can you imagine the, our intros and outros here on a single playlist together? At a, it just seems so strange. But welcome to 2002, people. We're 10 years in the future, or in the present, wherever, whatever you want. For, Feb 4th through the 10th, don't com- overcomplicate this. New releases also include The Illusion of Safety by Thrice, and You Got It Bad by Usher is still number one. <laughs> still number one. Make it stop. Um, and then uh, a little bit of news to let you know what's going on in 2002. <laughs> It's the XIX, what is that, the, the 19th Winter Olympics? Yep. Uh, games, they open in Salt Lake City, and I remember not a thing about the Winter yeah. Olympics. So <laughs> because of this shift, there have been two other Winter Olympicses in between in 10 years. Yeah. We just talked about the 1992, then we had 94. That's where they start going into the odd year. So 94, 98. And now 2002. Wow. And then I thought this was silly and, on, on February. Yeah. <laughs> this is where a lot of people learned the name Mitt Romney, though. He was fucking in charge. Right. Right. Uh, and he did governor? a pretty good job by all accounts in that, like, they didn't lose money. And that's the last time that's happened. <laughs> yeah, I think I've been I've been to two cities on, like, generic touristy tours and, like, and here's the Olympic Stadium. And it is, like, the biggest thing you've ever seen falling apart in your life. What a giant colossal waste of money for most towns. Uh, and they all look like they should have Scooby-Doo villains running <laughs> around in it. Because yes. you can find YouTube tour after YouTube tour of, and here's where the Olympics were held, and here's the grime and scum that is growing over it. And here are the secret tunnels the Russians use to wash their urine. And <laughs> yep. Unless you're in Sarajevo where they literally pulled it apart for firewood. Jesus <laughs> yeah. Oh, but the cauldron was lit by members of the 1980 U.S. hockey team that we all love so much. The Miracle on Ice team. Yay. And on, on February 6th, 20 years ago, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth is celebrating her 50th year of reign. And I know we're supposed to show the passage of time, but that still is like 20 years ago, like 50 years of a queen? Are you kidding me? Nothing has changed. And it, how has no, nothing changed there in 20 years? The queen <laughs> alive and kicking in her 90s. Unbelievable. Yep. Unbelievable. 95. Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, it helps. She was a kid. Born. She, she does not like talking about her long reign because it's kind of like, hey, remember when your parents died when you were really young? Did you, oh, did thanks you not, for bringing that up. Did you not get your right or the queen doesn't remember anything? It's, it's, yes. Well, uh, no. I mean, she remembers her dad died when she was young. Her mom lived to be like 104. So, no, yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, Prince Charles is sitting there going, God damn it. I want, I want to banish the monarchy only so the queen is forced to start a podcast about her life while she still can. Otherwise, she's not going to give us any of the good details. Would you listen to a Queen Elizabeth podcast? Of course you would. Musically speaking, who are your guys? <laughs> <laughs> oh, who are your other monarchs? <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, 2002 movies. <sighs> I hate this section so much this week, but I, I do have to give a massive... Oh. Massive shout out to Kenneth Branagh, Tiana Sansbury, and Everlyn Sampi in, in Rabbit Proof Fence, an absolutely excellent movie yeah. uh, I have not seen in a long time, but I've watched numerous times. A wonderful, wonderful film. Uh, yeah. The rest of this segment, it's sad that this has to be here because we have some very silly trash. And Rabbit Proof Fence is a fantastic movie. 
And it's another one. It's like, well, this is I'm learning history and shit right now. Yeah. Because I'm learning about the stolen generations in Australia where they used to take Aboriginal and especially mixed race kids, take them away from their families and be like, ah, you're going to be white now. We're going to teach you how to be white, just like we did in America, just like we did in Canada. Put them into bizarre otherworldly concentration camps with nice buildings, but you're literally in a in a cage and I lo- the rabbit proof fence is the thing that marks the territory a coast to coast way these kids can find their way back home to their real parents after being abducted and taken from them and forced to integrate into white Australian culture obviously I forget the year that it's set but it but 1931 1931 and one of the mm-hmm. best characters ever the aboriginal tracker character he mm-hmm. is amazing like a, a guy who can like lick dirt and figure out how, what was the last person's height who walked here it, just a great character this movie is very good and I just want to keep highlighting that because everything else here is some of the worst shit I've ever seen in my entire life <laughs> I, I, I will advise our listeners make sure you're in the right mindset mm-hmm. uh, when you're going to watch this oh it's a tough movie not for kids I, uh, I started watching and I got in about 15 minutes in and I noped out because I didn't want to be depressed Yep. I had enough going in in my life at that moment, at that day, and I was just like, you look really well done. This is an important topic. I am a not in a place to handle this right and it's now. Another, I think I Fair pointed enough. this out before. Kenneth Branagh's willingness to play a smiling imperialist piece of shit and is so astonishing. He does. He loves to play this type of character, an irredeemably awful character who doesn't know how awful they are. I, yep. I, I well, love. He thinks he's the good guy. Well, yes. he's taking them out of. Their, look, they live in poverty in a bunch of dirt, and I can. We if we take them away, we can teach them to, you know, become servants and laborers, and then they maybe can marry white people, and their children will only be a quarter black, and oh, they'll be so much better. Everything will be better now I for get, those I, kids, and it's like, yeah. Stealing people from their parents, that's always where things start. Like when you're doing something good and it starts with stealing children from parents, (laughs) (laughs) you need to rethink. It just reminds me of his role in conspiracy. Like I'm going to casually bring up, what do we gas everybody? And he just, he does it in this Kenneth Branagh way all the time. It just, I love it when people take intentionally terrible roles. I, I love it. And then, yeah. So, I mean, especially this, this is very timely coming with all the stuff about the, the schools in Canada, yes. especially in finding out, oh, what went on there and how many people died and stuff. And it is incredibly depressing, but it's also kind of inspirational because mm-hmm. it is based loosely on a true story. And these kids walked more than a thousand miles mm-hmm. on their own to get home of just like, well, if we stay here, we get fed, we get hit a bunch because we're speaking our local language. We can't do that. But which is better? I trek through the worst landscape imaginable Mm -hmm. for a thousand miles to get to my parents. Or I sit here and say, I like Jesus a lot. (laughs) Yep, Get your shoes. We're going. And just the history of the rabbit proof fence has always fascinated me. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's such a perfect metaphor for uh, Whitey shows up and ruins everything. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you have all these amazing species of animals that they have nowhere else on earth. Let's lose some rabbits so we can hunt them because that's more fun. Oh, no, we have destroyed the entire ecological system. Yeah. (sighs) Let's build a fence across an entire continent to stop them. <laughs> the invading hordes of bunnies. Well, <sighs> speaking of unconscionable people. <laughs> <laughs> so, John McTiernan's back. <laughs> John McTiernan is back uh, with Naven Andrews. Rebecca Romaine, who I didn't recognize for like 50 fucking minutes. LL Cool J, Jin Renault. I'm 
and Chris Klein, our generation's yeah. finest worst actor, in the the forgettably unforgettable Rollerball remake. The break you need is right here. You make the team. One, two, three. You push the limits. Grab hold. You go to the extreme. They're going to kill you. Gotta catch me first. You live for the rush. February 8th. We deal with this on the track ourselves. Do you have what it takes to survive? Rollerball. Ready PG-13. Oh, this. Oh, God, I was hoping. My God. I was so set to enjoy this film. <laughs> and it's so. I mean, can you recommend this as something that's so bad it needs no, to be seen? No, believe? it's not it's, even yeah, that not, bad. It's not even. No, no, it's not it's even not interesting, bad. Dad. It's no. not fun, bad. And I think both no. JR and I were like so mystified by this. Like, okay, let's go see what the original Rollerball had going on that would provoke a remake from some. It's only like, it's technically not that old. It's 1975, James Conn yeah. uh, Rollerball film, which is also, I think JR both walked away with. This isn't good either. Like what? No, no, it wasn't as bad as this one, but it wasn't something where I was like, yes, I can see why this would be a sci-fi classic they would feel the need to remake. So also well, I, I think the, 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 the biggest difference is the original Rollerball is social commentary. Yeah. And this one apparently how began could it not be. I mean, the whole <laughs> idea is that society is, you know, so bloodthirsty that we want to see sports that have death and violence in them. Yes. Cause you I, know, this and is... it's all run by evil corporations and they're trying to, you know, pacify the masses with their breads and circuses. So they don't see that we're getting fucked over. This is I mean, that's the point of the original rollerball. And in this one, they like intentionally took out anything like that and just made it, the blood sport for us to enjoy. Yes, it. it, it, yeah. it I, I, what but I was... then they took out all the blood to make a PG thirteen. Yes, <laughs> this is this is. It failed in every way. First of all, the weirdest thing. This is John McTiernan's second Norman Jewison remake. So uh, there, there were stories because I remember. I remember learning about Rollerball through a video game that I think came out in like eighty five, and uh, Norm Jewison was talking about like people wanted to license Rollerball, and it was like kind of infuriating because the whole thing is like the whole thing is like if you. I don't like contact sports. I think it's bad that we like we want full violent human being contact sports. That's what the movie's about. Why would I license this to you <laughs> who make <laughs> rollerball real? That's ridiculous. Whereas in 2002 or 1, I guess when they're creating the remake, John McTiernan gets a hold of it. And apparently there's an original script out there that's great. That's in the spirit of the uh, um original and just to remind you what's going on at the time, a huge cast member of the remake is Paul Heyman, who you might have seen as Brock Lesnar's manager valet in the Royal Rumble last week, but he's also the creator of ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, which is, I think it, pardon me, wrestling fans, I don't have my exact dates here. This might not be done. I don't think ECW is done yet. It's now a competition to the WWE, and it's doing so with barbed wire, blood, glass, extreme shit, like going way more extreme, cursing, drinking, smoking, all the things that WWE won't do. And that guy is your commentator. The creator and owner of that is your commentator in the Rollerball movie. So if you like Paul Heyman, it is kind of a trip. He's literally smoking a joint and yelling about, I can't understand any of this shit, well, fucking Russians. And it's, it's, it's hilarious. So, because John McTiernan saw the script and like, why are you? Why would we give social commentary for a thing we failed to prevent? P- 
people want to see Ooh. what Rollerball is. I'm going to make Rollerball a giant action movie. That more yeah. interesting though and they don't i, I mean think... 2002 is the height of concerns about reality television so you could yes. totally have turned it into some reality television yeah. uh, competition uh yeah. with death on the line that's oh. yeah def- a death I'm race truman show w will only be around until april yeah yeah so it's, it's... right at the end and they <laughs> but did they think it was going to keep going is that why it, it has it is a really weird it was secretly being subsidized but by Vince McMahon as like a developmental league. It never had enough money or interest to keep going. It, it wasn't where the future was headed. But if you were like a media watchdog, ECW scared the shit out of you. Because it mm. like, oh my God, we cannot have any more free network wrestling entertainment like that. And we kind of never did. We never, we, it never went as far as ECW did. But at the time, everybody was scared about that. But I, it, fascinating to read about Rollerball is this fascinating story of the old Hollywood process. Like, this is a bad idea. Don't do it. Like, first one made money. I don't believe you. We're going to keep doing this. Even if it takes us two years, reshoots, recasting, like, it's, mm. there were a billion earmarks on the wall. Don't do this. Nobody wants to see this. This is costing you too much to fix because it's really bad. It is unconscionably bad. <laughs> it is one of the worst films I've ever watched for this program. And I, yeah. I kind of had to watch it twice. Like, did that really happen? What happened to this storyline? <laughs> was there really, like, 20 minutes in fake night vision yes it's like yes headache inducing they said they fucked up on an actual night shoot and tried to go back and refilm it and it, dude a fucking plane chases a motorcycle like there is shit happening here allegedly they messed up the shot and just said fuck it night let's night vision the whole thing and there is this 10 minute action sequence outside at night <laughs> that's all green it's so i mean i, I was like even in my notes, if you write like a line about like night vision being ubiquitous or like we're going to turn on our night vision, you could have explained why that's happening. Instead, it looks like an amateur action sequence using a plane chasing a motorcycle. It's, it's... In terms of bizarre decisions. So the original yeah. 1975 film was set 43 years in the future. Mm-hmm. This okay. film is set three years in the future. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is a 2002 film. It is set in the far off year of 2005. And during those three years, an entire new sport has been invented, which gets a rabid fan base that cares about it in three years. I mean, I don't. International sports. Yeah. Why why didn't they just leave it 2018? Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason. Like, it could have had to be. 15 years in the future or 20 years in the future, may, something, but just three. assume your, your movie is going to be stuck in production. Hell, it don't set your movie in that. <laughs> they lost two you're, years you're trying gonna, to re-edit and reshoot this thing. Yeah. You're going to, you're, you're going to loop. Your movie is going to be the far off year of 1996. Wait, <laughs> but I think guys. that's, that's, that's ultimately maybe what fails at John McTiernan decided like, I'm going to lean into the audience that the original was satirizing. We're going to make a movie for them. And it turned out the system didn't really want a movie like that because there is there are like reception from test screenings of the rated R cut of this movie. And there's so many moments that I feel would have like this would have been a better film if it was really pulpy and violent and bloody. And they Mm. keep replaying this dude getting his helmet knocked off and whacked in the face, but seem to like he just looks really wet when he gets hit. Instead, (laughs) They put shadows over the nudity. Definite hints. I mean, uh, there's a scene early on where the African-American player is talking with the media and he says how his mom is a pediatrician. Yeah. uh, But for the Chinese audience, they translate 
that to his mom as a crack whore. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> oh, now if this... Paul Verhoeven had gotten his paws on this, yes, it'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. What we that's need. exactly what I had in my notes. If this was a Verhoeven movie, this would have been amazing. But instead, mm-hmm. it's a it's a guy who like nah, I think this audience already exists. I'm going to make a movie for them, and it's he doesn't really understand that audience to begin with. And it, the movie is not smart. It's not clever. It's just fucking like bad Mountain Dew commercial after bad Mountain Dew commercial. Yeah. It's also cheap. When you, I think JR, we're, we're, we were talking about fake sports. How much they spent $70 million in 2002 yeah. money. And that's a, there's so much of it in the year or two, they did to try and fix it with mm-hmm. reshoots and re-editing and recasting the original. I love they They shot in a, German circular arena and then built this rollerball course. When you watch rollerball, the first 10 minutes is a rollerball match. You instantly get how the sport works. Whereas this is like fucking Candyland clown show. And they clearly <laughs> redress this, this tiny, tiny little set compared to the original rollerball over and over again with the same actors uh, and the same things always happening. I never understood how this sport worked at any point at all. Why do some people get motorcycles and some people don't? In the other movie, the motorcycles are used as leverage for people to latch onto and move faster around their aggressors. It's very clear about that. Here, they just have... You shouldn't have motorcyclists with bats on this tiny little arena hitting... It's, <laughs> it's a poorly designed fictional sport. Yeah. yeah. At one point in the movie, well, they say, and there's no more penalties. Do whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> How... If you're a really big football fan and they suddenly remove all penalties, are you going to, like, enjoy the game more? I mean, you're going to be like, well, this means nothing because you're not obeying the rules of the sport that I'm emotionally invested in now. Yeah, it could just be the the beginning of Last Boy Scout. Someone just pulls a gun and starts shooting all the other players. (gasps) I don't know if that would get a penalty because they removed all penalties. Nothing oh, happened to Reggie man. Jackson naked gun. And this movie is is yeah. <laughs> so I, I, bad. I wish it was more fun to watch, but like, and I really I, I hate saying neg- like truly negative things, but man, Chris Klein is one of our the worst actors I've ever seen. Oh, he's so bad. When he plays he's... a sweet dummy in American Pie in Election, man, the dude's awesome. If you've ever seen that incest movie or that Street Fighter movie, <laughs> him in that Street Fighter movie, holy oh. lord. Uh, Nash. Uh, this is one of the worst leads I've ever seen in my entire and, life. And it doesn't help you spend so much of his time with LL Cool J, who's a guy who has just like effortless charisma. Yeah. Like he seems like a nice guy, Can, no it, matter what you see him in. It, all, all, everything. He's given the most ridiculous lines. LL Cool J has no problem getting them out and moving the movie along. And mm-hmm. yet he gets hurt somehow, like everybody else. This movie is fucking insane it is it, but like in a way that's like more whack than it is fucking fun I, I wish it was more fun i don't recommend they're both on tubi and pluto for free you're free to watch either rollerball it needed to be more insane like yeah. there were yeah. so many weird decisions this film is set in central asia if i have to guess kazakhstan is where it looks like on the map <laughs> and it doesn't really come into play mm-hmm. i don't get why they said it there instead of america or mm-hmm. it doesn't really make any there's sense there's a line paul Heyman says early in the movie he's describing the game and then you want to do this and that and then a bunch of other russian rules you could never understand and, and, <laughs> and so we don't learn anything else about this sport i mean it is justifiably remembered as just an absolutely terrible movie but i i feel like it's lasting impact is it's what put john mctiernan in movie jail slash regular actual jail 
because he was fighting with one of the producers so much that he hired a private investigator to illegally wiretap him to try to get blackmail material. Mm -hmm. And Which you then, can't do, people. Blackmail okay. is actually illegal, you know, not, so keep that in mind. Not unless, cool. Unless and then Piers when, Morgan, apparently. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And then when the FBI came, he lied to them. Mm -hmm. And that's also a crime. It, he would have been punished less if he just said, yeah, I'm sorry. So there's a lot of legal shenanigans where it's like he pled guilty, then he took the plea back. And then so they threw more charges at him, like, fuck you for wasting our time. And he ended up doing a year at Club Fed in what was this, <laughs> South Dakota, I think. Like not a, you know, it was prison, not a real prison, right. but it was prison for, well, for this guy. Probably and, tennis courts. But but his track record up until here is a predator, die hard, hunt for Red October, medicine man we just talked about, last action hero, die hard with a vengeance, Thomas Crown Tom's Affair that we talked about, the other <laughs> Norman yeah. Jewison remake. The guy had a really solid filmography. Mm -hmm. And he destroyed his entire career. So oh, because of rollerball. rollerball. <laughs> and again, he goes to jail like a decade change after the movie because of rollerball specifically. Yeah. And and that's I think not so boring with any of the details. John McTiernan had shot a like hard R, bloody, violent, pulpy cut of the movie. They decided to make it PG thirteen. And so a lot of the you can see you can really see carelessly a lot of the lines are edited out. And a lot of the violence is, is hastily cut out of the film. And he was having an argument with a tone over that producer, which caused him to go to actual jail. And, and, and there's never been like a, an unrated version to like justify this movie's existence either. Like that doesn't exist. But, mm. but people who have seen test screenings can attest to it that it does exist. But I don't know if we'll yeah. talk about a more well, fascinating movie this week. Did you read the, there's a Harry Knowles piece that he, yes. Harry Knowles was invited to see one of the R-rated yes. cuts. Mm -hmm. And even that he was like, well, this fucking sucks, but at least the violence was good. It's And and then saw a later cut and it was like, I take everything back I ever said. I hope somebody. <laughs> this is the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. I hope somebody makes a movie about Harry Knowles at some point. Because I would love that. The, yeah. uh, sexual assault allegations and all, but but like his, his weird access. He is a surprising source for me on all that because he reviewed the original script. He saw the R-rated movie and he saw the final movie. He's yeah. one of the only human beings to have done all of those. And that that's the story of what turn of the <laughs> turn of the century internet that I I deeply love. But that's not even like the, the most notable movie out this week. Oh my god! Oh, no. no. I I I'm really surprised that it still made less money than this children's movie that's coming next. <laughs> this mean little children's movie. Uh, yes, we have Russell Hornsby, Donald Faison. Amanda uh, Detmer, Amanda Bynes, Paul Giamatti, and Frankie Muniz. Big Fat Liar. Hollywood's most ruthless producer. Open the gate, you moron! Stole Jason Shepard's idea for a movie. We play by our own rules. On February 8th. It's payback time. Two friends will make one man's life. Color dye? You really think it's going to work? A living nightmare. Ah! Can I take a message? Mr. Wolf is about to go into a meeting. Frankie Muniz, Amanda Bynes, and Paul Giamatti. Big Fat Liar. Rated PG. <laughs> Big Fat Liar. I just remember the posters with a blue Paul Giamatti all over yep. it. And he wasn't even cast as the rhino yet. Man, I did, I've never seen this movie. Oh, Christ. It's for kids. <laughs> it's for kids. Did you watch it? I, watching rollerball two and a half times. <laughs> yeah, I gave it a shot. I watched uh, a little bit of it because I know it's... It's more for kids. It's definitely a smaller kids movie. And it's also just, just mean. Like, yeah. I do sort of like the general idea that it's it's a, the boy who cried wolf. 
it's like a version of the boy who cried wolf, but the wolf is a person. And, and you know, Frankie Muniz is uh, just lies all the time. He, he's just a compulsive liar. And then like the one time he tells the truth, no one believes him. And what he's telling the truth is, is Hollywood big shot Paul Giamatti stole my story and made it into a movie. <laughs> so I'm and no going one to, believes him. I'm going to home so alone gonna, his ass. I'm going to home alone his ass. I'm going to torture this adult man. Where we are now, it's the <laughs> second movie this week, which includes Rollerball, which is the end of Rollerball. It, the, the the new that's the reshot version is just him murdering the executives of Rollerball, and yeah. <laughs> this movie is once again the torture of an executive. I feel like that mm-hmm. should be more popular. <laughs> so yeah, they die in blue. They ruin his life because he's he's a bad guy because he's mean to everyone. So they get all his like subordinates that he's mean to to help them destroy this man's life and torture him horribly. And then put and, a motherfucking yeah. Smash Mouth song in the TV spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's there's just, a sequel. Yes. Bigger, fatter liar. Um, <laughs> that's the title. Um, yeah. It's uh, a goofy kids film that is for kids and not adults. Yeah. It really is for, for kids. Like I was waiting. Usually there's like the one joke that will sell me like, come on. They know adults are watching this. This no. is a joke that the grownups will get. No, but nothing. Come on. You got this. Nothing for grownups. There should have been more little like young wishful women there let's get revenge on an adult um even if it's home alone-ish or reputational but um, i love paul giamatti and i don't want him harmed <laughs> that's he, the problem didn't know he'd be... the whole time i feel bad for his character and him as an actor having to do this <laughs> poor paul giamatti he'll get an, an oscar not eventually i mean does american splendor a year from now so oh yes yes <laughs> top lines of film and the movie i did finally See, I think I saw it back in the day, but I tried to revisit it again here. It's number one at the box office, but not by much. John Turturro, John, I meant to get that. John Turturro's lines in this are some of the silliest I've ever heard. <laughs> John Leguizamo, Cliff Curtis, Francesca Neri, Elias Cotez, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Number one at the box office. It's collateral damage. They took everything Gordon Brewer had. The guerrillas call it collateral damage. Except his rage. The assassin is back in Colombia. But you cannot take the law into your own hands. Thanks for your advice. If it's a war they want. Don't even look at those guys unless you can kill them. They picked the wrong guy. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Collateral damage. Rated R. <laughs> Collateral damage. Okay. Can I say something about this? Because I've never seen this before. Um, it's terrible. This movie is simultaneously so much smarter than I was expecting <sighs> and even dumber than I was expecting. <sighs> and, and again, it, it suffers a rollerball thing if you read about the production that you don't know where the fault is because it is the first big budget Hollywood movie to deal directly with the concept of terrorism after 9-11. They have to delay the movie a long time and reshoot. Apparently there was supposed to be a plane hijacker in this movie played by Sofia Vergara (laughs) that was maybe shot and just thrown away because who would ever think about Sofia Vergara again? Yeah. yeah, actually putting a Colombian person in this movie about Colombia? Yeah. No. Well, no originally, it was going to be Arab ter- terrorists who go to Libya, uh, ah. but that got changed uh, That's to Colombia. It's been, it's been done. This was supposed to come out, I think, October 4th, 2001. Yeah. And it is about a firefighter losing his family to terrorism. So obviously, <laughs> we're not doing that. We're pushing I, it back. I checked. Arnold was almost... 60 years old do you still directly firefight in your 60 you know when you're mm. 60 
Uh, seems like a young man's game, doesn't well, it? See, see, this this ties into my theory of Arnold Schwarzenegger, the actor. Mm. That Arnold Schwarzenegger, the actor, always depended upon him being the biggest badass of all time. Yeah. That as long as you could look at this man and go, yes, this man could utterly mow aside waves of other people without a problem. He could fit into that role. But as he grew older and older and older, even though he's still an incredibly in-shape guy for his 60s, he's still a guy approaching 60. And it's more of a sense of, well, I I don't necessarily know if I believe this as the biggest badass who's ever existed. And that's his career, because this is like the most forgotten Arnold movie. I don't think there's an Arnold movie that is more forgotten than this. And that's what I I had written out and did stupid amount of looking into i at some point i want to sit down in a field on a stump and explain to children like i know america seems more xenophobic than ever but for a long time an immigrant english is a second language was our biggest box office movie draw that we had and Mm -hmm. that feels bizarre for almost 15 years an astounding streak arnold schwarzenegger in a movie number one even if it's a racer which is terrible yeah and 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 that's but this is the end of that this is yeah. the this is the end of like there's he'll one more thing will be released and Arnold Schwarzenegger will retire from movies and become yeah. a politician and it's because yeah. of the perform this hits number one at the box office but for one week and is technically a bomb does not make its its money back which was thought to be impossible for an Arnold mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger movie to do even end of days made its money back but yeah. this is this is the end of Arnold essentially there's one movie I like left and he'll abandon movies for about well. How long is a gubernatorial term or two? Um, not quite eight yeah, years. Yeah, I and that's part of what I actually enjoyed about this is this didn't feel like it was written for Arnold. It mm. felt like it was written for an every man. And then they did their best to not address that Arnold is you know built like a great god. <laughs> to, to to address Jr.'s point, I think John McClane changed the action star because Arnold mm-hmm. and Sly were walking around with big automatic weapons and punching people and. Bruce Willis started running. Arnold yeah. running needs a double. You cannot show Arnold. If you see it, it looks hilarious. He doesn't look good to run. So he can't be an everyman. He can't run. He can only punch and shoot. And well, he can't he hide. A Colombian <laughs> yeah, in this hide. film said, well, he had a hat on, so I didn't recognize him. <laughs> How do you not recognize this six by four? Look for the uh, widest white guy in Colombia. Exactly. <laughs> no, but see, that's what they're selling this movie as Arnold goes and mows down drug dealers. And yeah, yeah. he doesn't, mm-hmm. though. He spends most of the movie first, you know, he's in incredible grief because his wife and child were blowed up. Then, you know, he's like, well, the government's not doing anything. I'm going to do something. And he does a <laughs> bunch of like investigating and light spying. Yes. And then he decides, like, okay, well, this terrorist leader is the guy who did it. So I'm going to just go down to Colombia and find him myself. Because here's the thing that I was really surprised by. It really, it hates the CIA, this movie. Like, the CIA are bright pieces of shit in this movie. Like, they, you know, they're the reason Arnold has to go do this himself. is because they don't care about terrorism. They don't care about this bad guy. You know, Elias Kateas is, you know, the CIA operative guy. He doesn't care about human life at all for any reason. He's happy to just let people die, kill them personally. Yeah, he does not care. And he gets everything wrong all the time. So I was not expecting that it would, in the end, be about like the CIA, the the US CIA should stop tampering in foreign countries because we only make things worse. 
That's completely the message of this movie. It's in probably another indicator. This was completely done before 9-11. Because we've yeah. had movies come out that are more rah-rah America since 9-11. And this doesn't feel like any... This can't be a behind enemy lines or a when we were soldiers. It can't. No. Oh. No, it's about, we need to stop tampering in other countries because the U.S. tampering in Colombia is the reason this terrorist group is formed. Like we, they have no ideology that we ever learn about except that they hate American involvement in Colombia. That's it. Exactly. And so they they blow up a bunch of people. And it's like, uh, so you're saying America asked for it, huh? Oh, people aren't gonna like that. But so I like that. You know, he's not just running around with a chain gun mowing everybody down. It's much more spy-ish. But then then when he does some Home Alone shenanigans, it is so fucking silly. And the end in particular where they're like in the in the tunnels under Washington, D.C., which are real. They're, you know, real tunnels and stuff. And he's like, I've got to stop that bad guy. What's that over there? Oh, it's a fire axe and also a big pipe that says danger natural gas. <laughs> Who could have foreseen this? Today is my lucky day. <laughs> Definitely where you want the president running around when there's danger. Uh, yeah. <laughs> natural also, gas yeah, pipes. Just add that to more Cliff Curtis playing Latinos. Yes. Good for you, Cliff. Yes. Uh, yeah, Kiwi bastard. Diana, at least acknowledge this movie's still terrible. <laughs> it's still a oh, terrible Oh, no, it's not film. that it's good. It's still it a terrible It was that I was film. surprised. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't the jingoistic run-and-gun bullshit. If, if you remember, like... Expecting. If you were like, re- I could see Harrison Ford playing this part. It didn't have yeah, to be Arnold. It could be a Harrison Ford part. Yeah, it's um, way yeah. more of a Harrison Ford part, actually. Way more of a Jack Ryan part. Hmm. And I, I just... At this point, I was reading your magazines and the trades and your Harry Knowles-ness, and, like, this was being written as... A, kind of an un-Arnold movie because the Arnold movie wasn't working anymore. And yeah. the studio system was just mystified in a way like, we're not going to give up. This guy has made us so much money, we're not going to give up on him. So they gave him an atypical Arnold project. And that didn't take either. Spoiler, Terminator 3 will basically be his last shot. And it doesn't go great, even though yeah. I love that movie. Actually, yeah. it's not hugely surprising me saying this could be a Harrison Ford movie because mm-hmm. it's pretty similar to The Fugitive, which is directed by the same guy. Yeah, I was oh. going to say uh, Clear and Present Danger. Doesn't he go to Columbia? Like, I see in that some movie? overlap. I see some overlap. Yeah, Columbia. Um, I see a little bit of overlap there. Unbelievable. I hate this movie. <laughs> Just this, you can't be the Arnold movies are so good because they're never boring, and this one is. Give I would me. definitely. Yeah. I don't know if this is the worst Arnold movie of all time, but I will say it is the boringest. Yeah. Like, None of the other ones are this dull. Yeah. Mm. Dull and lifeless. But again, they didn't go to Columbia. They went to Veracruz, Mexico. (laughs) They could have run into Sean Connery. How about that? Exactly. And then moving into television briefly, we do not have anywhere near as much fun stuff as we did for you before, because I've never heard of Galador, Defenders of the Outer Dimension on Fox Kids. So this was the dark age of Legos. Uh, This is when Legos (laughs) was trying to make its own brand instead of building Simpsons and Seinfeld sets. But before you're a Ninjago or Hmm. what are those cyber things that I used to have to play with? The the two main characters are named Bluetooth and Allegra. (laughs) Oh. And, you know, it's your standard kid whisk away to a magical world where he is the chosen one, blah, 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 blah. But wait, these these aren't Lego characters, persons, peoples. No. This looks bizarre as fuck. There are McDonald's toys for this. I've never heard of this. (laughs) I've never heard of this because I... I was uh, I canceled a bunch of my redundant streaming services, and I'm on these free one. Like, there's a 24-7 Lego streaming channel. I'm like, there's a lot of Lego cartoons I didn't know existed, and I guess this is 
the weirdest one because this is a live action. It's just owned by Lego. They're not minifigs at all. I'm sure they're. Yeah, they they were trying to branch out, try to oh, wow. do this, other things. This looks awful. <laughs> this looks terrible with snapping together pieces and costumes and guns. He, Galador, Defenders of the Outer Dimension. Look it up. And then we have last episode of Action League Now, a show I wish I got to spend more time with. But uh, action figures come alive yep. via Chuckamation, <laughs> a combination of stop frame animation and live action shots where things are simply thrown or chucked or <laughs> dropped into frame to stimulate movement and wiggled around to stimulate talking. So basically, you know how you played with action figures yes. as a kid and pretended yeah. they were talking? But that's why it's dope. That's that's their animation style. It's like a live action version of what Toy Story got to do all the time. Yeah, I, I don't have any experience with this, but I guarantee you it's someone's first parody show. It is, I remember oh. catching episodes of this and I'm like, I think this is kind of brilliant, but I'm also <laughs> not in Nickelodeon's demo anymore. I was on MTV this week to catch the what would become the last episode of Jackass. And it shouldn't be surprising that it's the last episode. The, the previous episode was a few months earlier and it <clears throat> opens with a compilation of a bunch of people who are not Johnny Knoxville saying, hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville. Welcome to Jackass. So it seems like that's the kind of thing you do when you know some things are kind of ending. And I'm, I'm in full Jackass fever right now. I, by the time you're listening to this, I will be in the theater at an advance. I am risking Omicron I'll, I'll eat it all up to watch Jackass in the theaters with my friends and a huge audience. It is one of the best theatrical experiences you can have. I'll eat all the COVID I gotta. I'm vaxxed. I feel it. I, I don't care. But I'm so happy. In all a year, what, 20 years to the day, the final episode of Jackass airs. And by final episode, I mean the Gumball Rally one hour special. Oh. You probably I remember, remember that. It was, it was, I did not know that was the last episode of Jackass. It's, though. it's hugely disappointing because it was sort of hinting at like, we're going to have globe trotting adventures and really fuck stuff up outside of <laughs> Pennsylvania and Los Angeles. And instead, it's like, it feels like something more that YouTube influencers would do is in like, there aren't elaborate stunts. People don't dress up as things. They don't push each other around on roller skates or wheelbarrows. They ride in an international race with billionaires in $100,000 worth of car. And it's mostly just them watching and commenting. And occasionally, yeah. Steve-O will snort a chip in the back seat and you'll see them in a bar. But it is not debaucherous. It is not crazy. There are very few stunts because most of the time, the drama is them trying to get through like Russian borders and stuff. But the drama is not jackass. It's the quality of like, a, you just see all these billionaires arguing with custom agents. Like, this is not what jackass is at all. This is this is totally wrong. And I remember seeing this like, I hope this is not the evolution of the show. But I didn't know that behind the scenes, they'd pretty much agreed to quit already. Johnny Knoxville had quit the show like three times. and uh, But they had enough footage to make it look like he was still there. And they were moving on to a movie and Wild Boys. And then 20 years later, almost to the exact, it's one day off from the exact day. The advanced Damn. screening wow. is the exact day the last episode of Jackass Forever for me will be the 20 years to the day of the airing of the last episode of Jackass, the Gumball Rally special episode. Love my Jackass. Cannot wait to see it. And so I, I'm an old man who mm -hmm. occasionally suffers long-term debilitating illnesses mm -hmm. from taking a nap. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but I want to do half the stuff I see in a random Jackass episode. Yeah. Like, they make a skate wheel, which is just skateboards tied to each other in a wheel. Yeah. And they ride it down it. 
looks hella fun. You know, uh, <laughs> that's from there. Did you watch there? That's the, like the the last real episode of Jackass. Yes, they make that. I, I watched the last real episodes of Jackass mm-hmm. where uh, Brad Pitt is abducted. Uh, it's such a good prank. It's like I, he walks up to a movie theater line. It's just sort of like, "Hi, I'm Brad Pitt. Try not to pay too much attention." And a van drives up and kidnaps. <laughs> and I don't know. I remember because I, I love Jagga so much. I learned how they did it. They alerted police. Like you're going to get a lot of phone calls about Brad Pitt being kidnapped. But let me assure you, it's for this television show. Don't worry about it. And you see like 30 people calling. <laughs> in front of a, a bus that has an American Pie 2 uh, advertisement on it uh, <laughs> that Brad Pitt has been kidnapped. And it really looked like he had. A <laughs> uh, hundred years after Charlie Chaplin was on, people are still watching. Pain is eternally funny. I could mm-hmm. honestly see the jackass uh, television show and movies still being watched and laughed at in the 22nd century. I, I think like, I said that... Just- before, when I worked at a Chinese restaurant and not everybody spoke English, so I had in the DVD era, so I had a bunch of movies and I had to be kind of, does this one have Mandarin subtitles? It does. I can give that to them. And then I'm like, well, here, you will get Jackass. You, yeah. It's Mr. Bean. <laughs> it's like violent Mr. Bean. You'll get this. And, and I remember he, he I, they asked me for it again, but couldn't remember the name because like, like seriously, multiple generations of Chinese speaking people could get jackass. I keep trying to tell my dad about it because like the Knoxville stuff in particular, he is as big a fan of Looney Tunes as I am. My dad is of the great silent directors. And if uh, if you haven't seen uh, Peter Bogdanovich's last film, uh, The Great Buster, a, doc- a great documentary about Buster Keaton, Knoxville's in there a ton. Because he's just, I love this dude. And that's, I rip off his stuff all the time to like do in real life for Jackass. I I rip off his stuff so it fails and I get hurt the way (laughs) Buster Keaton didn't want to happen. But yeah, Bugs Bunny, Tom and Jerry and Buster Keaton are your guys. I don't understand how you can't laugh at Johnny Knoxville's stuff. It's it's just like, what if this happened in real life? And then it does. And it looks like it works. (laughs) The the (laughs) other thing I like about Jackass that sticks it out from the crowd is how it's it's a real big reminder about how the media manipulates our perception of the human body. You know, in action mm. films, you mm-hmm. see people do these crazy things and no one gets hurt. Right. In Jackass, you see the repercussions. These are real people <laughs> with real bodies mm-hmm. and they get hurt all the goddamn time. Mm-hmm. Uh, our bodies are not designed to work in the ways that the media loves to show. But here it's like, well, if you do these things, you're going to get hurt. See, look, they just got hurt. And that's that's not something you see very often. Yeah, the, the writhing. All. You know, you never got to see Charlie Chaplin writhe for like a minute <laughs> on his yeah. back like Ryan Dunn. And I, I, I had... Yeah, you never see Buster Keaton's broken collarbones. Yeah, or, or uh, Harold Lloyd's missing fingers, which he tried to hide <laughs> from you. But it did happen. And I, I was trying to tell my dad all this. And he's just like, and he just gave me, you know, the NPR spiel of like, ah, the degradation of society and what we find funny and I'm worried about imitators. I'm like, hold on with that. It's been 20 Mm. years. Name another jackass show. And I'll even Mm. tip my hat to you. If you can remember the dudesons, there are no imitators of jackass on, on television. Oh, YouTube is different. Mm. And those guys are in the new movie. (laughs) So that YouTube is different, but to what my dad was saying, Jackass didn't influence all other comedy. There is no other show or movie like Jackass at all. It's just after 20 years. They have no imitators. 
it came at a really crucial time. Yeah. It was part of the home mm-hmm. video revolution, guerrilla fi- filmmaking, and reality TV all rolled into one to really make it possible at the exact time it came into being in a way I don't think it would have been even 10 years before. And I, I, be- I believe also it was subject to enough lawsuits where like, if this yeah. isn't a billion percent successful, it's not worth trying because we cannot make ourselves a financial target like this. So it's so I was just trying to yell at my yeah. dad, this didn't influence as much as you think it did. It's kind of the only thing in this genre that is allowed to continue to exist. And I hope it does. I, I, I laughed my ass off at the second to last episode of Jackass, mm-hmm. which I guess I just watched. But as a parent, I hope my son never encounters this. Jackass? <laughs> what's Jackass? I haven't heard of that. There's no Jackass. What are you talking about? Don't talk crazy. Because that, that thing... I always hated watching it because like everyone else i knew that like jackass were idiots mm-hmm. yeah and mm-hmm. i always made me feel bad it's like but i like this too because i'm a classic film fan i am thinking about buster <laughs> keaton type stuff yeah and like you know it's like people who you know the godfather is their favorite movie and they like think that the corleones are all awesome or scarface <laughs> it's like how are you getting the exact wrong message from this yeah no you don't want to be Tony Montana. He's terrible. Yeah. You want Johnny Knoxville to fall on this knife for you, literally. Um, yeah. So <laughs> you don't have to. Yes. It's been done. He did it for you. Yeah. Stop it. And I could not be more excited for that new movie and hopefully new. Ca- I don't want them to do any more, if I can say that. I, the second they announce <laughs> They're it, I'm like, too old. Please don't they, do this. Uh, I mean, if you'd make it. 10 years from now let alone 20 well, you, years from you, now oh you didn't if you've seen the trailer and see the bull knocking johnny knoxville upside down that effectively retired him from this business he does not uh, bra- that resulted in broken bones and a brain hemorrhage and <laughs> it's they're they're too old to take hits like that but not those young kids those eager young youtubers who are gonna get put in a paradise my favorite thing on the special features of the first Jackass, I think it's Bam Margera, and they're all wearing roller skates in the back of a large U-Haul, which they just drive around at 80 miles an hour. Oh and, and, and they're throwing a roller disco in the back of a U-Haul, and like they can't, they can't start the shoot because they can't get the disco lights to work. And he just turns around like, we're in a fucking Paramount movie, and they can't get one car and lights to work. And, the, and this movie will be number one at the box office. Oh, it makes me so happy. I uh, cannot wait to see the new Jackass. Sorry for talking so long about Jackass. Uh, but we all clearly have an affection. A friend just texted me, what are you doing on Thursday? And I'm like, I'm going to uh, see Jackass. He's like, in a movie theater? All right, I'll see you in a fucking month. <laughs> like, fine. I already told my parents, too. I'm not going to hang out with you for a while. 2002 video games. NFL Blitz 2002. That never caught on that naming convention. Ooh, um, theoretically, I was always aware there were football games other than Madden, but it's interesting to see one actually exists. Well, NFL Blitz is the NBA jam to actual basketball. It is ah. a much smaller team, faster, unrealistic. I think eventually they'd start breaking each other's bones uh, and balls. I'm not kidding. I, uh, <laughs> that could be ball breaker. I can't remember. High Heat Major League Baseball. 2003 on PS2, back when we had more than one Major League Baseball, or, yeah, MLB game. Is that, the M stands for major, right? I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> I'm questioning myself. Yeah, it does? Okay, good. The majors, right. And then, uh, well, well. Other than NHL 94 for the Super Nintendo, are there any sports game in which the best version is not the latest version? Ooh, that's a, that's mm. a, that's a tall order. Maybe Tecmo Bowl. 
They kept trying to make more NBA jams and Blades of Steel, but that those original versions are still pretty fun. And it's usually for the things that you can't do in actual sports that they add to the game. If, you're, right. if your goal is realism, it's always going to get better on an iterative level. But this is the only time we'll talk that much about it. I don't know how big High Heat was, but I had fans, friends who were fans of baseball games and like triple play and all going to disappear within 20 years and there will only be the show left. That is the only Major League Baseball game sim we will have. And then on February 9th, we get to talk about Mario World again with the most confusingly titled series for Game Boy, <laughs> Super Mario Advance 2, Super Mario World 4 on Game Boy. It's the sequel to Super Mario Advance, Super Mario 2. I don't understand why you think this naming convention is difficult. <laughs> SMA 1 is 2, SMA 2 is 4, SMA 3 is 5, and SMA 4 is 3. How is that confusing? <laughs> I went, I, I went and looked this up because I never got a chance to play it. Because Super Mario Advance 1, god damn it, JR, <laughs> I'm going to sing that song the rest of the day, is a really good reinterpretation of Super Mario 2. Whereas this is trying its best to be a mildly enhanced version of the Super There's like uh, more cutscenes and uh, some, uh, some opt- widescreen optimization here, but the sound can't get as close to the, the beauty we heard in the Roseanne clip earlier. So <laughs> 10 years from that Roseanne clip, Super Mario World will be released again on GBA and sell a ton of copies. Just... And I get it because Super Mario World is one of the best games of all times. It's it effortlessly to get into. If you've played it 20 years ago, you can pick it up and have a great time again. Mm-hmm. So I get they're like, okay, we'll just put it on portable. Great. It's fun. They made a few differences. Uh, Luigi jumps yeah. in this game like he did in in Mario 2, where he does the little leg flutter it's, thing. It's now canonical to Mario 2 reskin. He will jump higher and slower yeah. than, <laughs> than Mario. And uh, there's a change where if you get hit while super-powered, you go to Big Mario instead of going to Little Mario. But other than that, it's it's just Super Mario World on your portable system. And when they, they acknowledge did... Princess Peach is now her name, it always was in Japan, but they had called her Toadstool here, and they're finally unifying that into calling her Peach. <laughs> It does have a new intro, which totally feels like it could have been an intro back in 1991. That is is weird, because it's like using the same sprites... Mm-hmm. Uh, and to, it, make... to me, uh, when I was watching, I was like, oh my gosh, there is a Mario World intro I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel happy because it was like, ah, <laughs> it, it, that's me... how a enhanced to an old game should go. It should make you feel like something from the past is in the future, but it still brings you the feeling of the past. It's true. Even though I thought about it for a second, like part of why I like this game is because I hit start and I play immediately. There are no intros to Mario games. You just go. You just yeah. move. You just go right. But Mario World, uh, like Jr. said, it's it. I now no longer understand the affection for eight bit Mario's. This is the standard for two D Mario's. It is the only old one I think you need to play. It's the best one that ever existed um, before the new Super Mario Brothers era. Anyway, what are we closing out with? Uh, Woman's hey. World. Yeah, I thought we'd close out with The Woman's Worth by Alicia Keys. It's about as high as it's going to get on the charts. And uh, just because, man, you got it bad, it's just sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. What will stop it? Eventually, we'll find out. We'll stay right there, people. We'll be back with our last decade, 2012. Don't move. Wanna please, wanna keep, wanna treat your woman right. Not just dull, but a show that you know she is worth your time. If you choose to refuse to put her first 
Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of February 4th through 10th, we have the original cult movie. And it is turning 90. Do you want to watch a movie that is 90 years old that will still probably speak to you? Well, then you should watch Freaks by Todd Browning, damn it. It is outstanding. It is fascinating that a movie from 1932 starring actual quote-unquote freaks is like exploiting them but also totally sides with them. I've seen people look at it as a metaphor for like class conflict, for the rights of the disabled, as being an anti-eugenics message because it stars all actual sideshow performers like uh, the human torso and conjoined twins and a bunch of little people and a guy with microcephaly or a pinhead as they're called and it's about their lives and how they kind of had no options except to be in the freak show and how they support each other against an outsider who's trying to do them harm and it's amazing that yeah a movie that's 90 years old it can speak to so many different groups of people like i don't know a single punk that doesn't love this movie (laughs) I don't know why punks in particular, but just like as outsiders, like you, you relate to, you know, being an outsider or having a found family, like being rejected by your actual biological family and like finding your people like that speaks to all kinds of subgroups like drag queens probably love this movie. Skaters probably love this movie. I just, I'm sure emos. Are there still emos? Emos probably love this movie. It can be hard to watch because it is kind of disturbing. Sometimes you feel like you are exploiting people as you're watching them like gosh those pinheads like oh my gosh what kind of life do they have here in this sideshow but you realize if they weren't in this sideshow they would be in an institution and that's kind of one of the points of the movie that still carries on 90 years later it's like people with disabilities are still people and they deserve love and safety and you know a place to thrive and to not have trapeze artists try to marry them and steal all their money so yeah, if you've never seen Freaks because you think it's just going to be too upsetting or that it really is just like watching an actual freak show from back in the day, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised because the freaks are absolutely the heroes. And um, yeah, it means a lot to a lot of people. So it's on HBO streaming. How about that? 90-year-old movie. Share it with a friend. And that's it for this week's Stay Classic. Coming in with 2012 with the savior of the CD, Adele, this year, I believe, has single-handedly boosted CD sales for the first time in a decade. But she did it, I'd say, 10 years ago. with Set fire to the rain. It's number one this week. Welcome to 2012, February 4th to the 10th. Other new music releases that we found at Notable Blues Funeral by uh, Mark Lennigan. Kisses on the Bottom. What? Kisses on the Bottom by Paul McCartney. Uh, <laughs> man, he's really knowing how to appeal to millennials. Like, uh, uh, a brief... <laughs> Wow, another butt one. A brief crack well, of was, light. He was going to call it eating ass. And it was <laughs> Sometimes me and John like to get down and really Damn get it. in that ass. <laughs> a, brief crack, a brief crack of light by therapy, which shouldn't be butt related, but now I'm laughing. Home by Dierks Bentley. Be the Void by Dr. Dog. A Different Kind of Truth. The first, uh, first full-length Van Halen album with David Lee Roth since 1984, I believe. 
David Lee Roth also announced his retirement within the last couple weeks. Him and the boss tone, <laughs> so everyone should feel a little old here. And uh, <laughs> a little bit of news to bring you into 2012. It's similar to the, the previous news. Queen Elizabeth II marks her 60th anniversary of being a British monarch, monarch becoming the second English monarch to reach 60 years. And in the time since then, she has passed Queen Victoria's record. Wow and is now the longest monarch of any gender in British history. Yep. Do you think that'll matter in the future when we maybe won't have monarchs or there's no real value placed upon monarchs? Well, well, I mean, the, the British monarch. for the history books. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the monarch as an institution has had a horrible 20th century <laughs> and a pretty bad 21st century. It's It keeps going down. The only new one is the Kim dynasty in North Korea. And that's, you know, Doing great. not the best representative of yes. monarch. Turn out, turns out when no one can say no to you, you end up dying at 50. Like, yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth II, I find a fascinating figure because she's been in charge pretty much for the vast majority of the breakup of the empire. Her dad had the title Emperor of India. She, she doesn't have that title. So many other colonies in the Commonwealth and blah, 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 blah. And just the consistency of having one person in charge means... People don't tend to question whether you should have a monarchy or not. After she goes, maybe people will start questioning that. I don't know. She's got a little under two and a half years to go to hold the world record of all time. All-time monarch? Really? All-time longest monarch is Louis XIV Obviously. because he went over 72 years, but then he was named king when he was four. Wow. You're right. You're right. Uh, yeah. She's got... It's a great system. Uh, above her is <laughs> Johann II of Liechtenstein, Buhumim Dahl, Adulayaja of Thailand, wow. and then Louis the Fourteen. That's only, it, man. Only three years in a bit. Yeah, she could yeah. do it. I mean, she's ninety-five. Two and a half years. She could do possible. it. Yeah, I don't know. It's like she's been around so long that, like, they when in England, wherever they put something new up, they have who the monarch is, and I actually saw a mailbox that wasn't Queen Elizabeth, and I took a picture. I was like, that's the <laughs> oldest mailbox in the world. <laughs> All right. To give you an idea of how long she has served, I am going to list all the colonies of Great Britain that have <laughs> severed their relationship while she was monarch. Ready? Ooh, all right. Sudan, Ghana, Malaysia, Singapore, Cyprus, Nigeria, Somalia, Cameroon, Kuwait, Sierra Leone, Tanzania, Jamaica, Trinidad, <laughs> Uganda, Kenya, Malway, Malta, Zambia, the Gambias, Maldives, Barbados, Botswana, Guyana, Lesthos, Yemen, Estathenia, Moratos, <laughs> Nauru, Fiji, Tonga, Bahrain, Bangladesh, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Emigrants, the Bahamas, Grenada, Sinceles, Dominica, Solomon Islands, Tuvul, Caberti, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadas, Venutia, <laughs> Zimbabwe, Antigua, and Barbuda, Belize, St. Kitts, Brunei. Woo! Um, God, that would yeah, only be better it was if St. Kitts and Nevis that really hurt, though. She was real <laughs> upset someone about that. Get Rob Paulson to sing that as y Yakko Warner. Oh, like, yes. <laughs> somehow contextualize <laughs> that. I, I, did somebody at least record a response? Because at that point, like, do you think she just gets used to entire nations breaking up with her? It's fine. Let them go. <laughs> you do you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, of course, they'll buy your bananas. That's yeah. such a weird thing. Right. And then all the British people are like, where did all these people of color come from? <laughs> you, do we go? Why are there Bahamians in this city? Like, cause. Oh. That's why. Unbelievable. Moving into the movies of 2012. Holy Lord. <sighs> 
Ned Beatty, Brie Larson, Ice Cube, Cynthia Nixon, Anne Hayes, Steve Buscemi, Sigourney Weaver, Robin Wright, Ben Foster, and Woody Harrelson in yeah. Rampart. Rampart. Yeah. Um, never seen this. <laughs> oh, is this... well, did you did you like the Shield? Uh, is this? I know where this is going. The, I mean, I like the Strike Team, but they they weren't accountable to anybody and committed so many atrocities in the name of it, law enforcement. It's sort of based on the same thing that that's based on yeah. in the uh, Rampart division of the LAPD, which is uh, really bad at the lawing and the ordering. It's it's sort of like if the Shield didn't have any action, or if Training J was just one guy. In that, it's about Woody Harrelson is this not great cop with an awful lot of problems just trying to like not get all the blame for everything put on him mm. that's kind of it um it's directed by owen moverman who also did the messengers again with uh woody harrelson and ben foster and it's i thought it was really good obviously depressing as hell timely as hell yeah, but like nobody saw it like it barely got released it made no money it just died uh, i'm not really sure why i think it was it the show helps me discover things like that and there's certain things people not just that people don't want to watch a depressing movie but they're not ready to hear i think when we talk about mm-hmm. rabbit proof fence even people who live down there can confront that reality i don't think i still don't think people are ready to confront the reality of police brutality in america today we, uh, we no. saw a very childish reaction to a very simple a very simple ask <laughs> uh, <laughs> from polite protesters a few years ago and it's just they're not ready to hear that shit and in terms of making a mainstream entertaining movie in the vein of training day i don't yeah i don't think people were ready to see this movie even 10 years ago I, I, I would have bet on it, but uh, I would have lost. So last episode, I did ask if anyone's ever done a period film set in the highest crime rate in our history, oh, the boy, early 1990s. <laughs> this isn't quite it. Yeah. This is a 2012 film set in 1999, at which point the crime rate in L.A. was half that of what it was in 1993. Wow. Um, so it's not quite there, but if you think of it as like the holdover from the highest crime rate, again, uh, that's that's the context. To I mean, see this. The, the story of the Rampart Division, I think, is is the symptom of the high crime rate, like a mm-hmm. police department that can move quicker, behave more violently and cut more corners is the kind of thing that happens in a moment of desperation. And Yeah. And, and if if you're wondering, like, is the tone just super depressing? Is it going to be like really complicated? Co-written by James Elroy. Yeah. And if you... So is a guy who really, really likes digging into corruption, um, often without, like, there's probably not going to be a happy ending. The happy ending is probably everyone gets shot. Um... You, you can look up a movie poster that is Woody Harrelson straddled across a black man with his hands up, putting down his billy club on him. And it has the release date of the movie and the slogan, I work for you. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. They... It's... That's where they got in some trouble of doing guerrilla marketing with that, the, making the clear point where it's like bad cops are paid by your money. Mm-hmm. They are doing this for you. Also, the other lasting thing was that there was a Reddit AMA with Woody Harrelson that uh, was supposed to be like one of the worst AMAs that ever happened. Where They asked him <laughs> anything and he kind of didn't like respond or play along and just sort of promoted the movie and everyone was like. You're supposed to be fun. Tell us about your dad yeah. being a murderer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah, but I think yeah, Rampart is is definitely worth watching in the definitely in within the the subgenre of corrupt LAPD, which is a very large subgenre. I'm fucking angry. I devoted my time to multiple rollerballs. Now should have looked ahead or to Rampart. You probably should have watched Rampart instead. I think yeah. it is, is very good. And then next, 
a series I find mystifying in that it seems to, I used to be so good at predicting what would do well and what wouldn't. And I never thought Journey to the Center of the Earth, nor a sequel without the cast, would have done any any business at all. But here we are. Kristen Davis, Louise Guzman, Vanessa Hudgens, Josh Hutcherson, Mike, Mike O'Kane, and of course, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Journey to the Mysterious Island. It's a mysterious island. This island is full of terrifying creatures. You have to take your breath away. That is so sick. Thousand watt smile. Everything move carefully. Lizards have an acute sense of smell. Uh oh. Journey to the mysterious island. That that fucking title. Mm-hmm. I can just. I, I don't know whether to like <laughs> be disgusted or tip my hat. If you say it out hat. loud, you might not realize it's a sequel. Right. Journey to the mysterious the island. Colon. Journey to colon the mysterious island. But it's you might not if you see it in print, you might not know it's a sequel. To journey the center of the earth, it's it's brilliant and infuriating at the exact same time. I, I love it and hate it so much. And no one from the first movie is there except for Josh Hutcherson. Josh Hutcherson. And it outgrosses the first movie, which you have to see. This has to be the indicator that like, oh, Dwayne Johnson can make your, really elevate your C or B action movie into yeah. A or well, and B plus money. And he can also be a child star. He's yes. not just like the tooth fairy child star but is also in like action comedy films for kids we were just talking about that because i wanted john cena to show up in the royal rumble last week did his role in the wonderful new program peacemaker did he sacrifice Mm. his his child movie card by being that naked and cursing that much and being casually racist holy shit i was thinking that too of like how many little kids are like john cena and their parents are like no you cannot watch peacemaker (laughs) he has a sex slash fight scene naked in the first episode Uh, that show's amazing i've never seen this but i i bet you could show clips of it to me and tell me it's jumanji and i would believe you it's a (laughs) there is an internet meme out there it's the rock in uh jungle attire and it's four panels of the rock in jungle attire and underneath it it says Believe it or not, this is Dwayne Johnson in four different movies. (laughs) (laughs) And this is one of those movies. This film starts out with the worst design conspiracy of all time. Okay. (laughs) So there's multiple authors whose work is separated by a century and a half who all have a map in different versions of their book published together which when you take it all combines to be the real map of a real island to go to. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so yeah. Jonathan which, Swift. Which edition it, are you going to exactly. get? You get the trade paperback. Now it doesn't line up. Yeah. It's a kid's movie for kids with ADHD. It's very <laughs> much a, here's a shiny new thing. Every 30 seconds. Don't really care about these characters very much. There's mm-hmm. not much there, but what there is, is big versions of small things and small versions of big things. Like there's a cat sized yep. elephant, which, you know, amazing, a little cute. I buy it's one. It's pretty cute. And then there's, you know, bees that are big enough. You can ride on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> bees love it when you jump on. True. And then what you can just direct them like a rocket ship. It's very easy to yeah. steer a bee. Apparently. Yep. Donkey I Kong mean, Country as, fucking lied to me. As, as an, a nerd who also appreciates quality IP, the idea that, all of Jules Verne's stuff is real, and we're just going to take it as face value. 
and oh look the nautilus it's like okay cool you know what introduce the children to the literature i appreciate that right so i admit this is one where it's like i'm not even going to start this i'm going to to jump to the middle and get the get the feel for what it a great idea i'm stealing that yeah i don't have time like i'll watch 10 minutes from the middle and if mm-hmm. i'm interested I w- i'll watch the whole thing mm-hmm. and this one is like i got the feel for it pretty good which is like it's fine it's another one of these it's just right. it's fine it's more for smaller kids Sure. But you know, it's an it's a it's a kids adventure movie. It looks pretty, I guess. Maybe it'll get them interested in books, classic literature. I don't know. That's, I do wonder, that, you know, it's the a weird connection that they're making there. But why don't, fine. why don't you use this movie's catering budget and restart reading Rainbow? Then <laughs> <That's just cool. laughs> the CGI in this movie isn't horrible, but it isn't mm-hmm. like amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And ten years later, it's like okay, this is barely adequate now. Yeah. And I, I can't help comparing like the bee scene when they're on bees to the scene in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where they built a giant size bee and had the kids actually on the back of it. And I don't know. I just feel like there's a old man yells at cloud here, but there's a certain <laughs> value in having the actors actually be on something instead of just a hundred percent green screen. Like there's, yeah. you're, you're losing something. I think so, and so. the film uh, ends on sequel bait. Uh, yeah. It ends on teasing. They're going from the earth to the moon. And that sequel has been in development hell for the last 10 years. Uh, mm-hmm. There was an update in 2021, which basically said, we are still working on it. This is streaming yeah. on HBO Max. It's a Warner Brothers distributed joint. So it might, I can't tell. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm not going to recommend this movie to you anyway. The next movie, however. Yeah. Like I said, for kids, it's fine. For ch- mm-hmm. You know, for kids. Uh, next... You know, for kids. <laughs> yeah, the next movie, I'm not recommending for anybody. I know. I was kidding. Vera Farmiga, Brendan Gleeson, Robert Patrick, Sam Shepard, Ryan Reynolds, Denzel Washington, Safe House. He's an expert in psychological manipulation. He was one of the most brilliant CIA operatives until he went rogue. Oh my God, that's Tobin Frost. I've been waiting a long time for this. Frost is on the loose. Need you to leave. Do I make you nervous? You're not gonna get in my head. I am already in your head. Safe house. Looks like a couple of actors playing against type in a way I wouldn't appreciate. But you never know. When Denzel plays a bad guy, it's always worth noting. But is he a bad guy? Oh, I don't know. I didn't watch Safe House. Uh, yeah, good. That's good for you because. <laughs> Uh, well, mostly my big problem is I hated the direction in this. Mm-hmm. Really, really did not like it. It's the guy who is going to be directing Morbius and hasn't done a whole hell of a lot else. And just too much oversaturated, shaky cam close-ups, very frenetic. And mm-hmm. it's like, you want to be Tony Scott so bad, but bitch, you ain't Tony Scott. Yeah. Probably how you can convince Denzel to work with you, though. I guess so. It's Maybe a, dressed up like him. So there's going to be shaky cam. Oh, I'm in. But um, yeah, Denzel plays a former spy who went rogue and Ryan Reynolds is this like schlub who's in charge of the local safe house. Like he cleans up after the place and like makes sure the security cameras look nice. And then Denzel just sort of like walks into an embassy after getting chased around uh, Cape Town again. A A second movie in a row filmed in South Africa for reasons, I guess. At least here it takes place in South Africa, not like Chronicle, which was just filmed there for no reason. Money, I guess. Just to save money, but it just, I don't remember that being that much of a thing back then as opposed to like Georgia today. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, yeah. So now they're they're holding Denzel and they start 
Uh, you want to see him get waterboarded by the T-1000? Because that's in this movie. <laughs> and sounds uh, pretty consistent with his character on Peacemaker. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then they, but then there's a big shootout and Denzel and Ryan Reynolds have to go on the run. Who is it that's trying to shoot them? What What is it that Denzel has that's so important to the CIA? Why did he go rogue? These questions and more will be answered. Boy, you think one of the CIA guys played by Sam Shepard or Brennan Gleeson or Vera Farmiga <laughs> is going to turn out to be a bad guy? I don't know, but it's it's irritating my inner Tucker Carlson. Why are there so many movies demonizing the CIA? It's... <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd give him credit for having three possibilities of who's going to turn out to be the bad guy, mm-hmm. as opposed to usually there's just the one actor that stands out. Like, you're too big a name to be here. I, I, I will say I still called it anyway. I, I know Diana. I, I don't know if you coined that, but for me, you did. Mm-hmm. And I won't even say what I watched recently. If there's what was it? If there's an actor who you recognize that is too big and hasn't appeared that much in the movie, he will reveal himself to be a bad guy in the third act. And it yep. still happens with new shit all the time. It's yep. it's, it's fucking us. So I just had a thought. There's. Tons of murder mystery movies out there where it's like, who's the murderer? And it mm-hmm. turns out that there's multiple murders. Mm-hmm. Are there any spy movie where it's like, who's the bad guy? And it turns out like they're all bad guys. I think maybe Ooh. didn't one of the shit that wasn't a born well born born was it the whole organization? Well, Captain America was the whole organization, probably, probably definitely. But as as spy spying <laughs> it, spying in terms of film likes to break it down on a one-person basis, as in one person is making all this difference. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we, there's a reality there we ignore to enjoy the movies. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that's a good point. It's another movie shitting on the CIA and saying that they're all super corrupt and up to no good and getting people killed just for funsies, apparently. Yeah, I mean, big chunks of the movie are just sort of, you know, one-on-one conversation scenes, which, you know, having just watched Trading Day again, you know, he's mm-hmm. trying to get in his head. And so it's like, obviously, it's a very different character, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was just so forgettable. <laughs> it was so yeah. not needing to be a movie. Just did not, did not care. Well, I've only gone to the theater this year to see Spider-Man and Jackass. It's no Spider-Man and Jackass. Uh, I have <laughs> not been to the theater this year. Yeah, well... I don't know if I went last year even. I don't think you did. Nope. Um, I don't think I've been to a movie theater, oh, God, possibly since Star Wars. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I've lost uh, track. As, I miss them so much. Hopefully it's, it's uh, my last movie before the pandemic we talked about on many a bonus time. Patreon.com slash laser time was fucking cats and it haunted me for, <laughs> for like years. This cannot be my last theatrical experience. I was dressed like Garfield and signed autographs with for children. Uh, <laughs> that was weird. I got lucky. My my last pre-pandemic film was 1917, and I went to the Ooh, theater specifically nice. because it's like, this is a film that has to be seen in theaters. So I, I was glad I Just a that light plug for Laser Time, I was able to convince Kevin, my buddy with his own micro movie theater, to for Oscar time to let me screen that in his theater nice alone with like three people. So like uh, that I knew very well, but that, I guess that probably counts too. I should count that. Kevin's theater is a theater. Don't tell him I said yeah. that. Uh, I think you should make him screen the next movie because it needs to be seen on the big screen. When, when you said this, I thought you were talking about like the reality <laughs> show of Nexium shit. Scott Speedman, which, his name I wish was mine. <laughs> Sam Neill, Jessica Lange, Channing Tatum, and Rachel McAdams. It's number one at the box office, despite me never having heard of it. The it's, it's not even Valentine's Day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Huh. Uh, the Vow. The Vow. 
I promise to never forget that this is a once-in-a-lifetime love. What if five years of your life disappeared in an instant? Paige. Doctor. She doesn't remember me. We'll figure this out together. I don't know you. This is hard for me, too. Good morning. <gasps> you didn't knock. Rachel McAdams, Channing Tatum. I hope one day I can love the way that you love me. I vow we will always find a way back to each other. The vow. He said it. Everybody drink. Uh, <laughs> finish your drinks. We got to touch the line. So this is uh, based upon a real life story. They got married. She was in an accident and she lost all memory of the person she married. Oof. And in this film, I, uh, I did the math and Rachel McAdams, I think, lost her memories between the ages of 25 and 30. Mm-hmm. And those are some crucial, crucial years to your development as a person. In my own personal Me too. Uh, world, uh, when I was 25, I was a single teacher in Japan. And when I was 30, I, had, I was married in Oregon with an office job, a uh, house, and a child on the way. And if in <laughs> my mind, I had like fallen asleep one day in Japan and then woken up in this completely different life, holy crud, would that have been a hard, hard thing to go through. Yeah, and that's why, so I jumped on this one seeing, oh, it's the romance movie, Mm -hmm. without knowing that it was going to be about that specifically. And like, I'm jumping on this grenade because I know you guys are probably not going to watch it. It's number one, (laughs) I should give it a chance. So I was kind of pleasantly surprised that it's like, it does bring up that, interesting sort of philosophical idea of if you had this happen to you where your traumatic brain injury makes you remember your life up to a point but then you don't remember you know those extra five years i think rachel mcadams does a really good job acting that she is the same person but it is sort of a different version where she's kind of more she was sort of like a manic pixie dream girlish a little bit and now or she's very independent and artsy and fun and after the accident she's kind of more like an upper She's more of a sorority girl Mm. and, you know, she just is interested in different things. She wants to be in law school and she has, you know, big giggle parties with her girlfriends and doesn't understand why her, why she would like Channing Tatum. And it's like the philosophical question of like, do you do what feels right to you now after having this injury and yeah, go to law school, move back in with your parents, just live the life that you had that you remember. Or do you assume, well, I made the choices I did for a reason so I'm going to try to pick up where I was with Channing Tatum, even though I don't know that guy. You know, you know what a man would do? Uh, Get reminder tattoos all over his body. but yeah this film is actually fairly deep it's really examining you know to what degree are we our memories you Mm -hmm. know our ego thinks it's us our ego is our current state of mind our current ways of thinking but you go back in time you had a different ego but that Mm -hmm. ego also thought it was you but you remain even as your ego changes and this film does a really great job of exploring that my wife and i watched it tons of tears the entire way through (laughs) it is a very moving film we loved it it's it's my highest recommend of the week in fact oh wow i was pleasantly more than rollerball Yeah, I I was pleasantly surprised. I was expecting it to be like really sappy drama 
and like it starts out was like they're just so perfect they're the cutest perfect couple in the world they're so cute and he's just so perfect like he really is just the ultimate boyfriend that every girl just wishes that they had and he even knows how to dress himself decently and wear sweaters and he's just giving her cute gifts oh they're so cute and then it takes his turn and i was like oh shit this movie is actually about like one's own identity and how it like affects the people who who love you and question of like well should i trust whatever decisions old me made to get to where i was should i trust those like there has to be a reason that i dropped out of law school and but does ran that? away I mean, from my family or is there like there's a huge uh, degree in randomness to our lives. We right. are not the complete masters of our destiny. Sometimes we make decisions for stupid reasons or reasons that were just the result of circumstances that may not have popped up again. Yeah. Um, and then, then you know, the flip side is the question for Channing Tatum of like, do you try to woo your wife back? Or do you just like, well, I'm I'm here if you need me to answer any questions and how that would that would fucking hurt. That would yeah. really, really hurt to have your partner look at you and be like, uh, hi, who who are you again? I'm, we're married? Sorry, what? Yeah, I imagine it has yeah. to be difficult for a partner as well, for someone to suddenly lose five years of maturity yeah. and become a different person. I mean, it's unless it's framed as funny in a different movie. I'm going right. back to high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I, I don't know why this is coming out the week before Valentine's Day, though. Build up this... buzz for Valentine's Day? Because it was, was number one, so everyone who saw it might recommend it to other people come Valentine's Day. Holy shit. Yes, but this it's not going to be number one next week. This, so, made, a, this made a ton of money, actually. It made a ton of money. Because it's pretty good. Like, it's, you know, it's it's not great. It's not, the, the characters aren't exactly, you know, super deep and complicated. But, yeah, it, like, it, it gave me stuff to think about. Which is kind of interesting of like, yeah, if you could do it all over again, would you just do it differently? But you don't know it's different because you don't remember what you did last time. Yeah, I... Or do you fuck Channing Tatum? Which I think we all know the correct answer. <laughs> yes, of course. Obviously. No matter where your memories are, you always fuck Channing Tatum. Always. No Take matter the who option you are. that leads to you fucking Channing Tatum. Yeah. Find so, out who's uh, Channing Tatum later. Real... It's still be worth it. The, uh, the real couple who based this story upon recently ended their marriage because the husband ended up cheating on her. Oh. Um, and that's a bit of a reminder that there's no finish line to marriage, that it's an mm -hmm. ongoing process and that uh, you can have a incredibly difficult thing that you overcome together, but that doesn't mean you just get a stop and coast on that. Yeah. You know, maybe he's always yeah. going to, and maybe he wouldn't get a, <laughs> been a good partner unless he got this weird, miraculous side piece fantasy totally get to play out. Oh shit! That's five years younger version of my own wife. Or <laughs> I, like, yeah. I didn't. I didn't yeah. watch this because, as someone who is weirdly dealt with an alarming amount of mental issues, I just looked at this and just like this is only provocative because it's young people, and I am dealing with a rather alarming amount of this with the adults in my life, and this is happening mm. to them. On a regular basis now, <laughs> it looks like it's going to be a thing within my with my genetic code that mm -hmm. so the woman's going to forget who she's married to at some point in her life, and mm -hmm. it's going to be incredibly difficult. And there is no finish line or even remotely a happy ending to any of that. So I looked at this mm -hmm. in the description, just like fuck this. I got to go pick out a home tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. 
And, and I didn't, yeah. but I, I didn't read it like that. I didn't read about it like an accident. I just said like a, the perspective you're talking about is one I didn't give the movie credit for doing. I right. was thinking it would just yeah, be. Yeah, it's not like she's got to learn to walk again. It's not mm. like her whole personality is erased. It's just she doesn't remember the last couple of years, which happens to include meeting Him. and falling in love mm. with her husband. Mm. Yeah, which it puts a different spin on it compared to something about like dementia or having a massive stroke or totally she, amnesia. She recovers, you know, that's yeah. the other thing. If she had progressive Alzheimer's that yeah. only kept getting worse, that's different than a one and done accident. And please, yeah. please let me apologize for framing it that way. As if like this movie should have to acknowledge that at all. It's just something I'm dealing with personally. It's neither here nor there. And it's something we'll all eventually get to. If these drug companies keep us alive with MNRA. Sorry. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to get our podcast a uh, height on spotify yeah well uh, thanks for pointing out though that yeah the vow is it, your first hit is probably going yes. to be the <laughs> nexium documentary i know like but, a, uh, it, it was an odd text Hulu. from diana it was like i saw the first nexium documentary like do you really yeah, want me to watch the, the new one uh, you want the 2012 <laughs> one there you go Moving quickly into television, Sir Superb Owl is happening again, which I don't know is a, if that's just a little meme and a joke we keep making. Superb mm -hmm. Owl, because I made it in yeah. front of my dad. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't think uh, they have to say the big game. You know, like people aren't even allowed to say the Super Bowl on certain. Oh, you can't say media. the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, not in commercial things. It's a copyright yeah. term. You got to say the big game. Get ready for the yeah. big game. If you're not the Can't official like, chip. It's a Super Bowl special on TVs. Nope. Having a party for the big game. Uh, even some of the, sometimes on the news, if it's on a competing network, they won't say the name of the Super Bowl. I'm saying right now, not changing or apologizing until they relax a little bit because the NFL seems hell-bent on losing multiple generations of potential viewers with arcane, archaic media practices. So fuck them. Superb Owl, it stays. New York Giants yeah. beat the, the uh, Northeast Patriots, I'm assuming that stands for. <laughs> Yeah, remember last week we talked about the Patriots pulling it out at the end? Mm -hmm. nope, nope, not this time. Sorry. And the halftime show the is Madonna, aspirational male performers, LMFAO, uh, MIA, I haven't heard of her in a while, and Nicki Minaj. Yeah, mm. it's a pretty good one. And ah, I, I love that we found this because I was looking for this. And I'll read it like it's phrased here because I love it. Quirky Company, Netflix, makes its original programming debut with the release of the comedy drama Lilyhammer, which I'll say millions of more people are potentially familiar with this show, just that it popped up so early on such a new piece of technology. And I watched it, I'm like, wow, this isn't very good. But the potential is insane. <laughs> well, all, all the reviews at the time were like, this is not a webisode. This is, get this, a real series broadcast only over the internet, guys. Mm -hmm. um, what? Like is every... it on Newgrounds? I'm confused. <laughs> that would be too intelligent for the media at the time, Diana. On Newgrounds? Is this on <laughs> atomfilms.com? No. <laughs> nay. It is, you can watch it on your Xbox at this point. And, and I, I remember watching this, watching this with my dad, and we were like, yeah, the show's all right. But still, like, holy shit, you can... Do I have to wait week to week? Nope. All there. It's all there right now. I don't think so. I think the I think you're Netflix right. Actually, the first drop season drop it all at once policy wasn't from the get go. That was I think it was a, it was the second on. season on, and when they would acquire things, I think they did yeah. try an episode because it was always promoted at the top, which we learned more so than a marketing budget. Having something autoplay in your Netflix home screen greatly increases its a, a visibility in a way you cannot buy or market, and 
It did, because again, Lily Hammer, not the greatest. I was shocked they weren't sued because it is Lil Steven just playing his part from Sopranos. 100%. 100%. There is, I, I watched the pilot for the first time and there was not one second, not one phrase, not one action that I didn't feel I was watching his character it's, from The Sopranos. And I, at the time, I did, now that I've seen him in interviews, uh, what's his name? Shit, I'm losing it. Steven, uh, Steven Van Zandt. Steven Van Zandt, Bruce Springsteen's guitarist. He doesn't talk like that. And he has a, uh, he wore a wig in The Sopranos. He's wearing the same wig here. He's dressed the same. <laughs> and all he says is like, yeah, I was doing some mafia shit and I got relocated to Lilyhammer. What is it? Uh, where is it? Norway. 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 Yep. So like, what? it's like a sp- unlicensed spinoff of the Sopranos <laughs> one you did not want and probably won't like very much, but it is what it says, a relocated New Jersey mafia guy in Norway, uh, trying, <laughs> yeah. just trying to get by with no gabagool. It's you culture know clash as both a drama and comedy. You know, it's an old yeah. formula, but it works fine. You know, what's extra weird. We were talking about all those winter Olympics in between the two Winter right. Olympics we talked about was the Winter Lily. Olympics in Lillehammer, Norway. <laughs> I think it's the only reason they could make that, they could title the show that, because I wouldn't have been familiar with Lillehammer or any, for any other reason. But again, I think people attribute it to House of Cards kind of changing the original mm-hmm. content game on Netflix, but this was the first, their first foray yeah. into that. I meant to look up how it started, because I imagine it's something they jumped on that was already in some kind of production, uh, even if it was very right. early stages. Because I don't know... Netflix deserves a lot of credit for how it changed their media landscape. I don't know how on board they were with original content once they started streaming. Because for a while, it was other people's shit. Back on the regular television, you know, where all the quality programming was 10 years ago. You know what? I I said that off mic this week. I just want to make sure I get it out there. And JR, thank you for reminding me. The unanimated work of Steven Spielberg produced by, for television is some of the worst programming I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> that that man, even as a producer, he produced Back to the Future and mm-hmm. Land Before Time, and his name means something in film. I cannot think of how valueless his name has become on television because he produced so much shit. Everything you have, you want more Jurassic Park? Here's a dinosaur show with a guy from ER. Fucking remembers it. You want more alien mm-hmm. stuff? Here's a show called Taken that now doesn't surface on Google and was one of the most boring things I've ever watched in my entire life. And this might be the most successful. And Sarah was supposed yeah. to come around to talk about it because... <laughs> yeah, Sarah, uh, it's me, Sarah, really, really wanted to talk about TV's smash. And I was ready to... Bring her on and we could do this, but unfortunately there was an emergency and she couldn't be on. So she will be back on possibly to talk about the series finale or the season finale. Because it does go two seasons. If you want to hear Sarah Um, talk about TV, there's laser time this week. So there. Oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. But as we have to point out, Glee is just the biggest goddamn thing in television right Mm now. And they have what's mostly a good idea of let's have a show where every series is about the creation of a Broadway show. A different Broadway show. Right. Every season is mm. supposed to be a different one. But anytime every season is something different, that's already a problem because you're going to have people like that character. And now that character's gone. So they kind of dropped that. But you got Deborah Messing, Jack Davenport, Catherine McVie, Megan Hilty, Angelica Houston, uh, Leslie Odom Jr. Like fuck? all kinds of people. What the fuck? You got Burr in, in there? The, yeah. <laughs> to be, you know, about this making of a Broadway musical about Marilyn Monroe. What if you called it American Broadway Story? Yeah. I think you could put it on Netflix <laughs> right now. Yeah. I really think that was a bit of the thumb of the boomer Spielberg mm. because the characters we're seeing appear to be people in their late 20s or early 30s. 
And I'm just not sure that that's the crowd that would be like, I have this burning desire to do a musical about Marilyn Monroe. Oh, every <laughs> character just, I, I watched the season premiere, the, every character not just loves Marilyn Monroe, but knows way too much about her. And they mm -hmm. show practically all of Some Like It Hot, because apparently that's the only movie they could get the rights to. They, they can't show <laughs> Gentlemen Prefer Blondes or Bus Stop or anything else. They just have Bus to show stop. Some Like It Hot, which uh, obviously I am okay with. But I mean, every episode has to have multiple numbers and it does the one thing that I hate about any movie or TV show that's about creating anything. Mm -hmm. The point where the characters inside the thing have to say, that was the best thing I've ever seen. It's like, <laughs> yeah, give yourself more of a blowjob TV show. <laughs> so again, I've only watched the pilot. I, I can't speak for the entire series, but what I saw makes me really concerned that they're falling for the Studio 60 problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. The Studio 60 problem is that everyone on the fake SNL on Studio 60 thought they were doing the most important thing in the world by making this sketch television show. <laughs> and they took themselves way too seriously. Unlike, say, some other shows, they don't show that these characters are narcissistic fools. You know, <laughs> it, it really shows that, no, these people are right to take the uh, skit, or in this case, the musical, super, super seriously. And I, I don't mm. know if that will kind of like carry over for the next two seasons as being just like ooh uh, this isn't working yeah i read synopses of the rest of the episodes and it seems like they actually had trouble finding the drama in this situation which mm -hmm. seems like there would be a lot of Anyone possibilities who has worked theater should yes. be able to just like do make it rain drama you know <laughs> <laughs> we gotta have it's me sarah come on and i i want to hear her thoughts because she's she was very adamant i have to talk about smash i'm like okay we'll yeah I, I don't want to know anything about it I, I swear i saw executive produced by steven spielberg i'm like Mm, mark of death for a television show bad <laughs> that's a bad thing to be on a television show and then we also have the debut of the reefer on abc sorry for my jean-claude pronunciation the river which i only assume is about the final card in the game of texas hold'em no it is a <laughs> found footage supernatural adventure horror show that lasts eight episodes uh i did not see it it's created about... by the paranormal activity guys that uh, explains it detective john river he sees dead people. <laughs> I, so you know, I, there's the world of the living and the world of the dead. He sees things others can't. And uh, there was no reason for this to be found footage other than that's their, it's 2012. This is our stage. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think if you, I can't really say that, but you could have a pretty fun War of the Worlds moment in a found footage show debuting even in 2012. Like people are like, what the fuck is this? What am I watching? Is this real security cam? What the fuck was that? I'm calling CBS. Also on ABC, another show I didn't watch. I was mad at for a long time, too. Castle, the Blue Butterfly. Is this a notable <laughs> episode for Castle fans? Yeah, this is a retro noir episode where Castle and Beckett are imagined as 1947 detectives and gangster mall. And it's a fun little throwback episode. Castle fans doing enjoy it it's a nice bit of time jumping between the present and the past because they're working on a case in the present but in order to solve it they've got to figure out what happened in the past and at one point castle starts imagining himself back there and then he screws up and says what he's imagining out loud they risked it all so what does that have to do with our secret safe it happened 
Backstage, right upstairs. They were stealing a moment together, which was dangerous because she was Dempsey's girl. As they stared into each other's eyes, Kate's heart quickened. Did you just say Kate? Are you picturing the P.I. as you and me as the gangster's mom? What? No. And I didn't say Kate. I said fate. Fate's heart quickened. It's being poetic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's cute. It's castle. Fun video games to talk about this week. God, there's almost too many, too many interesting things to talk about in terms of these games. So that's why we have a sh- whole show devoted to the games on patreon.com slash laser time. Because I, I had a ton of fun with one of the weirdest games I've ever heard of, Gotham City Imposters, a Batman game with no Batman and no Joker, but you play on basically a team Batman and a team Joker with characters and characteristics the Joker might have in a first-person shooter or Batman might not have in a first-person shooter, and it's a live game, a live game exclusively. And I think there was a bit of a single-player mode, but kind of like, why does this need this license? And this is not really things people are doing just yet. So like, not, not everybody was playing multiplayer-only stuff 10 years ago. Kingdoms of Amalar, Reckoning, is that the game made by the baseball player who uh, bankrupted almost an entire town, but has since lived on and been remastered? <laughs> yes, again, these all have great stories, which we'll talk about more with the Boys for Video Game Apocalypse. Resident Evil Revelations, or Revelitons, if you like making fun of a printing error on the spine, comes to 3DS and is I, sort of a huge I, failure, I think. I, I want to throw out that I think that's the most stunning 3DS game to date. Yeah. That it had the best graphics on this little handheld in 2012 of anything anyone had seen so far. And it also, because of the limitations of the 3DS, it became a scary, more typical Resident Evil game than the other games that had just become straightforward shooters with asinine plots. This was a scary Resident Evil game set at a boat and ended up becoming a bit of a series. And I believe the next game is a re-release, but I love talking about House of the Dead 3? No, never mind. I was thinking of a different one. The House of the Dead 3 is just a, a port, I would guess, of the arcade game. The House of the Dead games are some of the best light gun games, Diana, you'll ever, ever play. And Ooh. I believe are very Japanese, so I, I want to say that that or Time Crisis is the game in the arcades. A zombie rushes a girl several times, and she's just like, don't come, don't come, don't come. <laughs> like, that's... Um, why, did, why are you letting a teenager catch this error in your arcade? <laughs> There's something else you could have said. You, again, you can hear, we'll talk about this way more in depth as we catch up with the games of the month on uh, um, patreon.com slash laser time. Should do another one of those this week with the Video Game Apocalypse boys. We are talking about a bunch of fun stuff, including the big news that happened this week with Sony buying Bungie. Fucking weird. And uh, we got bonus shows coming for you as well, including my sick of Star Wars friends really bothering me to record a new jam. Uh, to kick up, kick up that show again. I was just kind of holding out for a recording in person, so I don't know how that's going to shake out, but I think we should just fucking do it. Yeah, where can people find you, Di? They can find me on the Twitter at ListenNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, we had Denzel in 92 and 2012. We got him in 2002. Man, we almost had the, the Denzel hat trick. Yeah. We almost had a John McTiernan hat trick, except I think he was in jail. (laughs) He was in in (laughs) legal legal proceedings in the final segment. We got him holding a hospital hostage, I think, next week. And then also I feel my age very, very much because next week we are talking about one of the most popular movies of my high school years. It's party time. It's excellent. Wow. Wow. 
It's odd to hear you associate that with your high school. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I won't. I won't dig it any further. God, I love that. Moon. Um, That's when I was teaching high school. Jr. You have. <laughs> uh, if you want to hear more Jr., where can you do that, buddy? Uh, they can find me on Talking Terrific Television, a chronological examination of The Sopranos. This week we are covering Cold Stones, the episode where Carmela sees the lights of Paris and Vito's lights are permanently shut off. I really hate that death more than most of the uh, ones on that show. Pull cue, really? <laughs> I, I just wanted them to be like, you're coming out of a closet to scare me. You don't see the dramatic irony here. <laughs> Deaths, we got to talk about very fit, very fast. Folk musician, Dave Van Runk, which sounds like a Tim and Eric name, but I believe Diana does a, <laughs> looked up a that's, real person. That's a real name. And then just three days after her celebrating 50 years on the throne, Queen Elizabeth lost her sister, Margaret, who is 71. Margaret, the fun one. Is she... <laughs> No, she was the fun one. Was she? If you've watched The Crown, uh, she's played in some seasons by Helena Bottom Carter, and she's the fun one. I let that be a lesson, listeners. Fun equals death. <laughs> <laughs> I have never been as close to watching The Crown as I am right now. Due Dude, to the it, great. It's great. You should watch on, it. On the heels of that Peyton Manning weekend update piece where he just talked about <laughs> Emily in Paris. <laughs> My dad right now will not shut up about the crown to the point where like not only like, okay, you were the last person I needed to recommend this to me to like finally jump in. Also, shut up about it. I'll watch it. Fuck. He's so excited about it. he just started watching the crown. He's like so excited about it. Seventy five yeah. year old man loves the crown right now. <laughs> uh, it's anyway, in two thousand two, uh, we also lost Traudel Junge, mm-hmm. who was Hitler's secretary, who is eighty one. If you watch Downfall, that's mostly based on her book. Wow. And then in twenty twelve, we lost Florence Green, the last surviving veteran of world war one not combat wow. veteran any kind of veteran she was 110 Whoa. that's that's yeah. the, the kind of stuff i think about all the time if you think hitler yells a lot i really would like to hear what his secretary said were there nazi issued earplugs that i can find with the swastika <laughs> on them i was just talking about they they shall not grow old documentary mm-hmm. peter jackson made before that recent beatles one it's totally worth seeing i didn't realize i meant to look it up when we watched the movie two years ago when did we lose the last world war one veteran and Ten years ago. Yeah, ten yeah. years ago. And which you know means we're probably not more than ten years, maybe fifteen, until the last World War II veteran. There's probably. I bet you there's yeah. a bunch of kids who lied about their age, born in like the 30s. We're gonna have to wait on. Mm. But it, yeah, they were nine years yeah. old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was playing jacks in Brooklyn, and all of a sudden I'm on a plane. <laughs> Normandy. <laughs> it's interesting to think about. And we were talking off mic about. Watch old, watching old movies for a great perspective on not always what your relatives were doing, but what they wanted you to think they were doing by making ideal versions of their lives. But I also what frame it, especially in this movie, this is a movie where you get to talk to ghosts. These are people talking frankly about World War One in a way that you'll never hear again. So they shall not grow old. Rather than recommend Rollerball, that's my recommend. <laughs> <laughs> With that out of the way, let's get to the birthday quiz. Bubba the birthdays. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Well, speaking of people like taking in a huge swath of time, we're going to talk about someone turning ninety. Okay. And 90. he's still with us. Knock on wood. Going to knock quieter so I don't set off my dog like I did before. <laughs> Born February eighth, nineteen thirty-two, in Flushing, Queens. His dad was a jazz drummer with the Raymond Scott Quintet, who were kind of a big deal at the time. At 19, he joined the Air Force, played in their brass band, then left to study piano at Juilliard. He went to Hollywood and he got work as playing piano 
on film scores. Actually, you can hear him playing a West Side Story, Some Like It Hot, and The Apartment. It's, it's, it can't be Paul Schaefer, right? He's a, he's a product of the 70s. <laughs> no. I'm just trying to think of famous piano players. Well, I'm just mentioning this because he's not famous as a piano player anymore. Okay. Because he went into movies. And his early career, like people of that age, the early career is so bad, including Daddy-O, an underappreciated Mystery Science, Mystery Theater, Science Theater episode. Oh, it's not Dick Miller, no? Uh... No. I passed for white. Gidget <laughs> goes to Rome. John Goldfarb, please come home. And not with my wife, you don't. <laughs> What's this movie about? Um. <laughs> well, then by the 70s, he was like Mr. Disaster Movie, did Poseidon Adventure. Clint Eastwood? And... John Williams. It is John Williams! God damn it! God yes! JR with the steal, finally! Oh, it took him a month, uh, but he took it from finally, me! Finally, JR. I was well on it. We'd already done. talked about John Williams. Oh, shit. Oh, John I was Williams. very carefully choosing my words to not say he was in a movie. Oh, John Williams. I knew she were he doing something like that. Yes. I was going to say it. I was going to say, Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake, Towering Inferno, Family Plot, Hitchcock's last film. Films of his we've talked about. I had to reorder these like a motherfucker. Right. To not give them away. Space Camp, Witches of Eastwick, Accidental Tourist, Born on the Fourth of July, Stanley and Iris, Presumed Innocent, JFK, Sleepers, Rosewood, Seven Years in Tibet, Stepmom, Angela's Ashes, and The Patriot. Now let's get to the ones with Spielberg. (laughs) (laughs) Always Amistad, Hook, Adventures of Tintin, War Horse, Empire of the Sun, AI and Artificial Intelligence, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Jurassic Park 2, Home Alone, Saving Private Ryan, Star Wars 1, The Phantom Menace, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Now, (laughs) for half credit, (laughs) there is only one other person with more Oscar nominations, and it's Walt Disney. Yeah. How many... Oscar nominations do you think John Williams has had in his career? Nominations. Nominations. 15. No. Chris? It's got to be around in the, I would guess in the 20s or 30s. 25. 52. 52. (laughs) That's got to be, so one a year since, almost one a year since he's been working. Wow. Basically, yes. He's won five times, four Golden Globes, and 25 Grammys. Well, I mean, he's only averaging 10%. I mean, so. Yeah. bad also his son joseph is the lead singer of toto the rosanna guy every time you are hearing africa that's Uh, actually john williams is underachieving son and and he is still working and will be composing indiana jones 5 what i thought he said he was done yeah Um, supposed to be working on it oh no he i he has announced his he's like Miyazaki and that he's announced his retirement several times. And I, I thought he was like, I'm going to go out with the last Star Wars. I'll be, that'll be my last one. But right. why not go out on the last Indiana Jones and not that shitty fucking Star Wars movie? <laughs> Patreon.com slash laser time. If you want to hear me <laughs> rail on Star Wars movies, sick of Star yeah. Wars coming back very soon. Yeah. I hope. So man, did I have fun researching this and just realizing like, yeah, my entire film life, my life period, mm-hmm. it just corresponds with yeah. probably our greatest film composer's best work. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, you know how you have a more prolific composer than that, even though I might be, I could listen to more Danny Elfman scores, but hmm. John Williams has probably made more iconic scores to some of the most famous movies of all time. I think making them more famous. Some yeah. of the first CDs I purchased were John Williams scores. Yeah. The wow. first the first score I remember humming is just anytime Indiana Jones was on, I thought that was I would just leap <laughs> outside humming that shit. Yeah. And yeah, if if you like John Williams and everyone does, I, I suggest digging into his inspirations. Um Corn Gold, uh Stravinsky, especially Stravinsky, where it's like you every now and then you'll listen to something classical and be like, oh, 
Oh, John Williams, you sneaky bitch. <laughs> uh, we did have, uh, have a laser time about that with video game soundtracks, because if you weren't into Japanese jazz, you might not know where a lot of video games soundtracks <laughs> are stolen from or inspired by. Inspired by. Nice. So, yep. Happy 90th birthday, 90th. John Williams. That is awesome. You guys have a favorite John Williams score? You want to go out with like some E.T. or something? Or do you want to go out with Sir Mix-a-Lot? Sir Mix-a-Lot, baby. Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard this song before. I got to hear it. I, I, you both seem to know what it was. I got to learn. Oh, yeah. I got to learn. Yeah. One Time's Got No Case. Sir Mix-a-Lot. It's good. One Time's Got No Case by Sir Mix-a-Lot's taking us out. Tell a friend about the show. But most of all, thank you for listening. We do enjoy putting these things together. And thank you so much for your contributions throughout the years. Take us out, Sir Mix-a-Lot. Radar. They don't believe I'm a rap star Cause my brain is up to 